Hey everyone, this is Mike. And this is Kevin. We just wanted to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter, our new Twitter feed, at Arms Race Podcast, as we migrate over from at Bad Puns Podcast. Now that we have a new podcast feed and a new Twitter, we just wanted to put this up front just to make sure everyone's migrating over. So uh, if you subscribe to the uh, Bad Puns and Machine Guns podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Arms Race feed. Uh, and if you gave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else, please be sure to give us a review for this podcast as well. And with that, on with the show. Thanks. Giant. Good things from the garden. Garden in the valley. Valley of the jolly. Welcome to the Arms Race, the podcast where we gradually determine the action star with the highest body count. I'm Mike Olson. And I'm Kevin Keen, and today we're covering our first Sylvester Stallone movie, Demolition Man, released by Warner Brothers on October 8th, 1993, starring Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock, Nigel Hawthorne, Benjamin Bratt, Bob Gunton, Glenn Shaddix, and Dennis Leary. Written by Daniel Waters and Robert Renault and Peter M. Lenkov, directed by Marco Brambilla. So Demolition Man. Yeah. Very, very excited to be doing this. This is our first episode uh, for the arms race uh, with Sylvester Stallone, and it's a movie that both you and I really, really enjoyed. It is excited. I'm excited to be starting fresh with, with the uh, Stallone filmography. This is going to be quite the journey. If you've listened to our last episode, you know, you can hear some of our general thoughts. But, uh, yeah, I think it makes sense to start here. And I got to tell you, I was surprised how dated it was. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't think it has aged as well as Last Action Hero. I mean, this was the idea was to start with this if this is, in theory, Stallone's Last Action Hero. And I think Last Action Hero holds up great, and I think this is a little dated. I can see there's some things. I won't say that I didn't still enjoy it almost as much as I enjoyed it 25 years ago. Okay. When's the last time you watched it? Oh, it's probably been... At least five, maybe ten years. Yeah, it, it's been a while. I'll bet it's been longer than that. Uh, I have my DVD case here, and I have the exact same DVD. You can tell how old this DVD is because it has the old Warner Brothers yep. snap case. <laughs> get a foley of this. That's how old this DVD is. It's, it's a really cheap these DVD. Crappy too. paper cases that they used to have. Is there? I didn't even look. Is there a different version to that DVD, or is that still the one? If you bought it now, is that what you'd get? Oh, I'm pretty sure it's on Blu-ray. Oh, all right. I thought about looking and upgrading, but I went kind of like I've been going on kind of a Blu-ray spending spree That's lately. So it's just like, well, literally, I went like, let me watch it first and see if I want to upgrade it. And ooh, he's decided no. I don't think so. I think all I, right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have the DVD, but. I, I liked it. I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but I'm shocked how 90s it feels. It's kind of similar to uh, uh, The Running Man, how we talked about how, how 80s that felt, even though it was set in the future. This feels so 90s. All right. We're going to have to talk a little bit about that. But Okay. I, so We're starting off our new podcast with a little bit of a friction yeah, here. I mean, so I, I'm not going to disagree with you that our, the thesis that Last Action Hero has aged very well, that it's probably just as relevant and just as watchable today. I'm not mm. going to say that this has held up that well, but I think that's an anomaly too. And I think some of it is that we take pride of ownership that we loved Last Action Hero when it wasn't cool to love Last Action Hero. Sure. Uh, this was far better liked 
uh, when it came out than Last Action Hero. Was. That's true. That may be why. And so I, it, there's it, sort of a redheaded stepchild sort of a quality to yeah. Last Action Hero. That this yeah, this was very popular. So it's actually that's a, a good segue into kind of what we tried to set this up in the segments. And my first job here on the podcast is to kind of set the stage of what it was like when each of these movies come out. And since you feel like this feels very nineties, I'm hopefully I'll have captured what the October 1993 felt like. Actually, I think this will help to inform because, yeah, maybe I am overreacting. I'd like to hear what else. Comparing Demolition Man to other movies that came out around that time is going to help. Before you start, though, let me tell you, I came up with some jingles for some of the segments. I don't know jingles oh. for all of them. Well, this is a perfect movie to have jingles, by the way, because it's that one is, of my favorite things in this movie. Some of them have music and some don't, but just stop. If you don't want jingles, stop me now. Otherwise, we're going to commit to... I've got like for six out of our ten segments. Well, let's hear it, and then let me commit This that. one's not really a jingle. What day is it? What year? <laughs> all right, so that's fair What came out around then? Uh, so the first thing I think is most important is what's going on in the box office. So... Demolition Man, the week it opened, it did open at number one in the box office. $14.2 million. Number two was very interesting to me. was Cool Runnings. You remember that movie? <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. That feels like a very 90s movie. That does. The Jamaican bobsled team. I feel pride. I feel power. I see pride. I see power. Wow. I screwed up the quote. Uh, I, I'm so ashamed at screwing up that Cool Runnings quote. You should be ashamed. <laughs> uh, number three, which... Uh, so, Cool Runnings was not a, a new release. It actually had been in theaters for uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, the number one movie the prior week dropped to number three, Malice, with Alec Baldwin. Do you remember that? No. Oh, so it's got a quote that I'll never forget, because he I, I've seen it, but I don't remember it well, but he's like a really arrogant doctor. Uh, you say that I have a God complex. I am God. That, <laughs> that was in the trailer. That rings a very vague bell. You probably never have seen the movie, but I guarantee yeah, you saw that the, trailer. the trailer. That doesn't have Cindy Crawford in it, does it? That's something else. No, you're thinking of Fair Game with yes. the other Baldwin, Billy, I think. Oh, is that Billy? I thought that was Alec. No, it's not Alec. I think it's Billy Baldwin. It's not Daniel. And is there, an, is there a fourth Baldwin? I'm pretty sure there is. Adam. They're Adam Baldwin. No, it's Adam like, Baldwin's not a Baldwin. Oh, that's right. We have that discussion. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there is a fourth Baldwin, but it's not Adam Baldwin. It's some... Yeah, there must be a fourth Baldwin. There's All like right. seven of them. So the only so in that so that those were like the top three movies. Some some other notables I want to have you seen a Bronx Tale? Uh, no, but I'm aware of it. All yeah. right, yeah. So it, it's actually a De Niro movie that I that I really like because it's not a De Niro movie, if you will. Is Chaz Palmentary in it, or do I? Yeah, I feel no. like he directed it or something. Right? No, I think De Niro might have directed that, and Chaz is in it. Oh, oh. is what I think it is. Okay. Uh, the program. I don't know if you remember. Oh, that. sure. I remember the program very well. What's your assignment? <laughs> Kill everybody. <laughs> Friends of the program. Yeah. Uh, that was number nine in the box office, and believe it or not. I was shocked to see this. The Fugitive was still going strong, and this is October. When did that come out in the summer? Uh, yeah, that was like a late June, I think early July release, and it was still, I mean, it was not in the top 10, but just barely, and was making $2.3 million. Yeah, that was still in the tail end of when movies run for a good long, a long while. time. They I just mean, don't anymore. Yeah, they're gone after a month, even if they're a giant hit. Uh, believe it or not, Jurassic Park was still making money at this point, and that sure. had been released well uh, in advance. Yeah, I believe that. I did want to see, all right, the demolition man did it hold up i went to week week number two the next weekend it barely but like a hundred thousand held on and was still the number one movie which today it's almost impossible i mean movies almost never have back-to-back weekends anymore that's yeah. number one i would love for you to try and guess it was a comedy i'll, I'll give i'll give you a little bit of a hint because it's not fair 93 93 comedy uh, it was an adaptation of a tv show tv comedy oh was it the brady bunch movie <laughs> That's a great guess. It was the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, uh, was the number two movie in America. Close enough. 
Uh, and then I'm going to give you Ernest, another one. Was Ernest in that? Yes, that Ernest, yeah. <laughs> Ernest was in uh, that. Uh, yeah, boy, oh boy. And then uh, another movie that we've discussed, actually, in a recent episode at, at Bad Puns, debuted at number five. Judgment Night, and I know you said that that movie does not hold up well. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch it again, though. I think I don't remember when I watched it. It was like almost ten years ago now. Okay, some, I watched it and was like, "That was bad," but then it's been See, so long now. I kind of want to watch it again. Well, I well, at least when it was out, I liked it, so I should go back and, and watch it and also, see if I don't. Dennis Leary owned the box office this weekend. Apparently, apparently. well, at least the next weekend. So then I went and I went one weekend further. Very, very interesting. So the following weekend, so Beverly Hillbillies was just barely number two. The next weekend, those were still the top two movies, but they flipped. So Demolition Man was number two at the box office. The Beverly Hillbillies was number one. Wow, word so of mouth. Word, the word of mouth with Ernest really carried the day. <laughs> Everyone packed up their trucks and went to the movie theaters. Apparently so. So then just a little bit was going on in the world. Uh, the S&P 500 was at 463. <laughs> you cover this S&P 500? Absolutely. <laughs> I want to know a... what was going on in the world. You can tell, too, that I'm a... <laughs> Mike works in the banking industry, so of course yeah. you're going to come in with the S&P 500. And also, when we're recording this, stocks are at all-time highs. How can it not be at least somewhat relevant? I have, right? like, literally don't have any context for if that's like... I mean, obviously it's going to be lower. I don't know if that's... Yeah, the S&P 500 today is like 25... or No, it might actually be 28 or 2900 now. I mean, it's significantly higher than what it was. Yeah, but you would expect that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, just saying I don't not know. necessarily. You know what the S&P 500 was in 2008 or 9? It was at like 900. Well, sure, but there was a crash. I, like that, but, but that's my point is. is but over the, like, I'm saying over the course of 25 years, if it's, okay. if it, it should, <laughs> those crashes should even out. This is my segment. It's going to be in there. <laughs> Fine. I look forward to <laughs> the weekly S&P 500 <laughs> update. Uh, the, the New York Times top seller at that point in time was? Sphere. The Bridges of Madison uh, County. Okay. I guess that would have been too late for Sphere. Uh, Billboard Top 100. What do you think the number one song in the oh United God, States was? I don't know. I'll, I'll give you the artist. How about that? I'll bet it's like Celine Dion or something. It's close. It's Mariah Carey. Oh, Fantasy? Dream Lover. Dream Lover. And then I just kind of went and grabbed some history from October 1993. So this actually was... I was surprised. I didn't remember at the time because I remember the story from movies, actually. not We lived it. Demolition Man, the week that it came out, that was actually the battle in Mogadishu that Black Hawk Down is based on. Oh, okay. October 3rd and 4th was, uh, was that battle, and it's fairly important in U.S. history. A lot of policy changed, actually, after, after that, sure. um, that battle. Uh, and the last thing, a little bit of uh, sad news. At the end of October, uh, in the world of entertainment, River Phoenix died on October 31st. Oh, that is sad news. Yeah. That's a bummer thing to end on. Well, I, was, I tried to go in order, and there wasn't a lot that I could find on October 31st. I'm like, well, this is probably relevant. So. It's, I mean, it's movie-related, so yeah, I guess exactly. we'll loot it back around. So that's a little bit of what was going on in uh, October of 1993. You know what's funny? When you say Mariah Carey had the biggest hit of, 1990, of that week or whatever, 1993, I would always look back. I remember as a kid looking back at like the seventies and just like, what was the biggest hit? And you would expect like Pink Floyd or something. And it was always like Disco Duck. And now it's like Mariah Carey is the Disco Duck of the nineties. It's just like, no, it's not Nirvana. It's not Dr. Dre. It's not you know Biggie Small. It's Mariah Carey. I mean, she's not. She's a legitimate singer. And all I was going to say it's like, Mariah can actually sing, so it's not as yeah, bad. But I get your point. Disco Duck is probably it, uh, or, or Captain and Tennille maybe is the better comparison. Just because, like, it, but in in your defense, and I'm not a music fan like you. Are in the in the grand scheme of things of what either bands or performers influence, you know, music and pop culture. Nothing against Mariah Carey, but the examples you give, right, Nirvana 
or Dr. Dre, a host of other names, had far more greater influence than Mariah Carey would right. ever had. All right, right. so then uh, that, that's what was going on. So now we, uh, we should transition right into the Demolition, Demolition Man. Demolition Man. I got another jingle for you. All right. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. I have no idea what movie that's from. Because <laughs> you haven't seen it. Because you said in the previous oh. episode you'd never seen that What's movie. What's it from? That's from Cobra. Oh, I've never seen Cobra. I, I laid music over it. I need, I need to clean some of these up. I threw these together literally like two hours ago. No, so that's fine. All right. So <laughs> the <laughs> plot summary itself. This is what the Demolition Man is all about. Yeah. So John Spartan, played by Sylvester Stallone, is, is the Demolition Man. Yeah, and so in 1996, the far-flung future of 1996. <laughs> Such a mistake. Uh, yeah, well, I think in both cases, they should have gone farther in the future. Absolutely. But anyway, yeah, he's a super cop demolition man, and he's trying to take down Wesley Snipes as Simon Phoenix. Yes. Uh, and there's a busload of hostages who die and basically gets pinned on uh, John Spartan, and they both get sent to cryo prison. Yeah, that... <laughs> I'll admit that does feel a little bit 1990s. It's a lot of this premise feels 1990s, I and mean, there's a lot of specifics that we'll get to later. But like, but it's quaint. I that's fine. I like this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't dislike it, but I don't know. 25, uh, 30 years later. No, it's 25, 25 years, years later. later. Yeah, it's 25 years. I was shocked when I looked at like, oh yeah, it's 25 exactly. years later. Um, but yeah, it's, it seems pretty corny now. The idea of a cryo prison. And so, I mean, it, it was in, kind of intentionally corny. I, mean, I think the future that it presents are, is, is, I was going to say, I think some of this does try. It's not, I don't think this movie is taking itself seriously. No, it's a pretty jokey future. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there are, and there are some aspects, right. That I think that they nail in terms of the future, like most science fiction movies that we have covered or probably will cover. This is one. Yeah. It's kind of nice. It's sort of like the same argument can be made, but we don't held it in high regard. That the sixth day cloning was the thing of the time, right? Yeah, and they they were going to make a movie about it. Cryo prison, yeah, cryogenics and freezing things. It feels a little nineties. That doesn't feel like it's in our imminent future. Who was the celebrity? Uh, and I'm not talking about Walt Disney. Who was the celebrity who had their head frozen? Ted was, Williams. Yeah, it was Ted Williams? Was it around then? It might have actually been. It might have been. So maybe that's what they glommed onto. Yeah, it was like a, just a thing in the news. It's just like this is a thing that maybe will be a reality. We'll freeze ourselves. And I, I mean, but at the same time, you want the premise. I think some of the premise of this movie is to have it's still the fish out of water, but both of them that they are just running amok because it's a society that can't handle either one of them. Right. So I mean, how do you how do you age? I mean, how do you move them forward into that future? Unless it you go the alternate timeline, time travel. There's no way to do it, right? I mean, you could like Captain America them and have them like stuck in an iceberg. Like, yeah, at some point they have to be in some kind of suspended. Animation. Well, Captain America is effectively a cryo prison. Yeah, I mean it is. No, I mean in order to carry out their premise, they had to put them in some kind of deep freeze. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I'll buy it. I think it has more to do with the kind of. Uh, visuals of it and like the robotic arm that swings the cube around and it's just like it does not look futuristic now in 2018 it's just like i guess not i don't know i i didn't i didn't feel that way i didn't feel that it was totally out of place yeah and i mean some of it's like the direction and the kind of art design like I, like the clothes are wearing like especially at the beginning you know uh wesley snipes's outfit in that <laughs> opening sequence that like Oh, Yellow that, and black checkerboard. Oh, and like the Zubaz that he had on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, that, don't tell me that's like the, this is the most '90s thing you ever saw. That absolutely was, but I found that endearing. I'll I'll admit, I I liked that aspect. Well, in of this it. in the in the five years or four years between when they made the movie. And 1996, when everything falls apart, apparently fashion didn't change much. It's just like <laughs> they're still wearing. <laughs> He's still busting out his Zubaz. Yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, they get frozen, and then Wesley Snipes as Simon Phoenix is at his parole hearing, which is like, he gets paroled before John Spartan for some reason. I'll admit, that was one of the things that it doesn't seem fair or make sense. I mean, I'll buy it if it's like, you can just imagine that Dr. Cocteau, who in this future kind of runs things, he orchestrated it. That's what I took it as, is that he, he wanted Phoenix release, so he moved it up. That That's the only logical conclusion you can come to. Yeah, I mean, you just can buy it. But I mean... He awakens to this world where everything is quote unquote perfect because of Dr. Kaito, who like engineered this perfect society, which is interesting in terms of like, I mean, my memory of this movie was that it was very political. And I think, and maybe it's the times we live in, but it's like, my memory was that this is a very sharp satire and it doesn't seem as sharp as my memory. But at the same time, I feel like it's to a certain extent, it is kind of political in terms of like, it's sort of like a very satirical look at like hyper nanny state kind of a thing. It's like, oh, well, it's absolutely, I mean, it, it's a, it's a brave new world. I mean, that, that's what it is. Right. But at the same time, like the, the underground dwellers, I guess they're supposed to be the heroes, but in the end, it's, it, it's just like somewhere in the middle is the, no, and the, I, okay, well that's, all right. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually appreciate that ending. Sure, I, I do too. I think that Stallone is the true hero because he's the voice of reason. And probably in today's, <laughs> today's culture, that's what we need is that, you know what? You're yeah. not right. You're not right. It's somewhere in between. Kind of let's try and figure it out. And that's what surprised me about it is it's exactly right. It's like a call for centrism in a way that I, my memory was the opposite. My memory was that it, it was the hell with this, you know, big government stuff and in the end it's not really that it's because it's also it also depicts these underground kind of the more like free living people as like you know hey we live free sometimes we starve to death <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like eh, eh, maybe it's just i'm older but now i see it more as like yeah stallone is is the force in the middle saying like these two extremes are both yeah, ridiculous n- n- and- neither one makes sense but i can understand and at least what i remember more than going through it now being older watching this the centrist ending, I remember no kind of the anti nanny state because it is poking a lot, and but it's not. Yeah, it definitely is. It, it's not, but it's not a harsh criticism. It's more of trying to present the absurdity of something. And to be honest, look, I, there's a lot of things in our culture today that are pretty nanny state, and I lean more towards that this is absurd. So maybe that's another reason why I don't feel like this is dated is because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this, some of this stuff is dumb. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I I think part of why. I think a lot of it is unclear. I'm not even t- entirely sure if Dr. Cocteau, who is clearly in charge, but it, I guess he says he, d- he is like the mayor or governor or something like yes. that. He has a whole city-state to run, you remember. I guess so, but it feels more like a corporate thing. Like he's got like a board of directors, or maybe that's supposed to be like a city council. But like I, I think it thing. is a city council, which I can I just say, I don't understand. The whole video conferencing <laughs> to save space makes a lot of sense, and that was forward thinking because we've got that right. Yeah, that's true. But why is there an individual one for each one of those people? You still have a conference room. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I think it was just supposed to be like teleconferencing run amok. That's it's just supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there for a gag because when they're like eavesdropping on the conversation, yeah, they all turn. They all turn. <laughs> be well them for me. <laughs> <laughs> does he say that? He absolutely does. Be well informed. I think a lot of this, uh, I just wasn't picking up on like the yeah. lingo. So yeah, so where were we in the... the so so I they mean, were unfrozen. Yeah, they're unfrozen. And I mean, ultimately what it comes down to, right, is it's cops and robbers. He's chasing them again, just like he chased them at Phoenix in the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Wesley Snipes, because just I was really... Even when we did Expendables 3... She's like, wow, Wesley Snipes. I forgot how great he is. And then, like, seeing this. This is one of my favorite performances of his, without a doubt. It's great. It's amazing how great he is 
as a villain, but also he's really managing to find like opportunities for comedy in a way that I didn't remember. His scene, honestly, they're almost all of his scenes are fantastic. Just some of the little things. And I mean, the, his parole hearing him in Spanish. I mean, the character of Simon Phoenix, he is somebody that would drive you insane, but at the same time, I don't know. You're, I'm kind of pulling for him to be honest. As crazy as that sounds, yeah. Like when the warden's trying to get away, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was in the script. If it wasn't, my hats off to you, uh, Wesley Snipes. You nailed Simon Phoenix. Yeah, I, I really do feel like Wesley Snipes probably brought a lot of that to the table because yeah, there's so many moments where he he's just finding little moments of comedy. Yes. When he tries to punch the the glass and the monitor, <laughs> his reaction is like, he does like physical comedy. Like he's totally doing a bit. Uh, well, that and then uh, thinking about when, you know, the, the, the police first and are using, I, I've got it here in a later thing that they're using the first YouTube videos to try and how to apprehend a, 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 a oh, criminal. Right. That tutorial. He's yeah, the tu- it is. I mean, it's like going to YouTube. I don't know how to do this. I got to ask YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the last cop, when, you know, the one guy's oh. going to, the, the boxing, the, oh, the mimicking that he makes, Snipes is a, fantastic. It's a hilarious. I, I really forgot how funny he was in this movie. Like, this might be, you know, he did some comedies here and there. He's in Major League, and et cetera. Yeah. But, I don't think I've ever seen Wesley Snipes funnier than this movie. Like, it's it's amazing. It's no, an amazing and, performance. And I mean, he and it flips back and forth, right? Because you com- completely believe him in the action sequences. You completely believe him too. Is like a, the menacing part. But that's why I, I, I we've said it, you know, in past episodes during Schwarzenegger. What what makes a great action movie is you've got to have a great villain. The character of Simon Phoenix, I think, is pretty good, but Snipes is what completely puts it over the top. Yeah, and like you said, he's a great villain. It's not just funny. Like It's impressive how he's able to maintain that menace through it all. He's funny frequently, but when he needs to be menacing and you know, like really villainous, um, and sometimes at the same time, like at the, the end, like, I guess we should finish the, the plot summary, but like at the end when he's got John Spartan in that claw and he's just going, and he's shooting at him. It's just like, he's, he's funny, but it's also, he's still managing to be, he's not undercutting the menace. It, I mean, it's more, it's certainly not Heath Ledger Joker, but it's a little bit Jack Nicholson Joker, right? I mean, he's channeling that a little bit is that he's menacing, but still entertaining and funny at the same time. Yeah, I agree. And you know, who else is really great? Is it cold in here or is it just me? (laughs) It was good memory. I mean, it will always, I mean, my mom would always say that. So it makes me think of my mom, but, (laughs) but at the same time, if my mom's, I will think of Simon Phoenix because I remember it. It's cold in here or is it just me <laughs> i think it was really smart of them i think this is screenplay like props to the screenplay i think it was really smart of them to set that character up as he's not really cracking jokes in that opening sequence that much that's a one-liner is it cold in here or is it just me but yeah it's really when he wakes back up and like i think why his performance is so funny is because he finds it amusing how amazing he is. He's just like, I woke up and now I know karate and I know all this, all this computer stuff. And like, he is just constantly amused at how much he knows. I can see that. And at the same time, you know what I can, th- I, I could also see is that he looks around and just see, and it's maybe not disgust, but he just sees what the society is. And he's like, I can absolutely run this place. Right. I couldn't, I mean, I had my little, you know, I had my fiefdom where the postman figured it out. <laughs> The policeman, I absolutely love that oh, sequence, right. but, but the goddamn bus, bus driver just wouldn't listen. 
But, you know, he had his fiefdom in the 90s, and he was a menace, but here he's like, I can run the whole place because everybody here is so soft, basically. He can run the bus drivers now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know who else is really good in this movie? And, I mean, I remember liking her at the time, but Sandra Bullock. Yep. This is pre-speed. This is yeah. essentially the movie that really kind of launched her. And she's great, too. She is. Um, and, you know, Sandra, it certainly, she wasn't anybody that I knew at the time. Uh, but be, having this, well, yeah, I mean, she was basically a, an unknown. Had she even done anything before this? Like, I don't know. I, I, I probably should have looked it up. Not, not a ton. Um, but having this and then speed back-to-back, I mean, she... Right. She instantly became that it started. <laughs> it was the net starring that girl from the bus. I was about to say this is before she was the girl from the bus. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you have those two movies, and really even more so, Speed. Um, yeah, I mean, she Speed was, was a, a giant. movie. Yeah, absolutely massive movie. Yeah, but I mean, that's a tough role. I don't think I really appreciated how tough a role that is because, like, she's got to balance like four things. Like, she's clearly been raised in this society, and she is like has the kind of point of view that that society has instilled into her but she still loves the 20th century stuff but it's like she has to like contain it in a certain way so that it's not like crossing any boundaries in, in this world and then the whole thing of like she keeps screwing up the phrases yes which could come off as so dumb and like oh yeah delivered she makes that work in a way that I, i'm like wow she makes that stupid joke work yeah like, how does each she do one it? of them too yeah every time it's like it's actually kind of funny like it's not like laugh like you know I think doubled it, over laughing. Right. I think it was intended to be funnier than it actually is, meaning, you know, the writer thought it was really funny. It could have been a disaster. She saves it where it's it's amusing, but not I still don't think what the as funny as the writer probably thought it was when they wrote it. No. I mean a couple of them are funnier than others. Yeah. Um you know, blow this guy away is probably <laughs> the, the highlight of those. Um No, but just like her character, it doesn't make sense that she would know what an a 1970 Oldsmobile 442 is and know like the cubic inches of the engine and all that. And she doesn't and know bucket seats. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Radial tires and bucket seats. <laughs> I think 445 cubic inch. Engine, yeah. It's like ridiculous. Um, she knows every little detail about the Oldsmobile, but then she doesn't know, take this job and shovel it. Yeah. It's absurd, <laughs> you know, but she, she somehow manages to acquit herself. She steps over every landmine. I mean, it makes sense that she became a giant star because yeah, she's great. And to be honest, I mean, I, you know, Stallone is fine. It's funny because I mean, this is a podcast about Stallone, <laughs> and this is a Stallone vehicle, right? I mean, he was the star. Yeah, but I think really the two Bullock and and Snipes steal the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were poking fun of Stallone's comedic ability in the previous episode, episode zero. But like, or I guess it's not the previous episode if you're listening to this on the on the uh, <laughs> what's, what's our podcast called. <laughs> God damn it. The arms race. The arms race. Man, you've been cursing a lot. How many beers have you had over Sorry. there? Sorry. That's fine. Uh, we never set that rule on this podcast. <laughs> That's fair. I'll stop. I'll stop. Well, then if we're just going to be wide open, then I'm going to use some of Snipes. Because I, I, I really like the verbal morality statue, by the way. Oh, we'll, that's, we'll get, that's hilarious. But whatever. We were making fun of Stallone's uh, comedic ability. But he's actually pretty he funny in this. He, he holds his own. Yeah. He's got some funny lines. Doesn't know you the three seashells. You know, like his like little asides to himself. <laughs> Until it turned into a cannoli. <laughs> right. That probably is the one that I forever remember Stallone yeah, for. Definitely. Um, yeah, he's, he's good. I mean, I, I think he tends, when he's doing sci-fi stuff, he tends to kind of roll his eyes through it a little bit. He's not doing that here. He's, pretty, he's no, on I board. He, and, I was going to say, I think he buys into this one. Yeah. I, I'll tell you who I don't like in this movie. Ooh. Dennis Leary. All right, um, that's one of those things that feels the most 90s. Let's have Dennis Leary do a rant like he does an MTV. Everyone loves those. (laughs) 
Who remembers that anymore? Nobody does. Um, that's exactly why he does that, though. You know that's why. I like f- freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I want to oh. rub lotion and hamburger juice all no. over me, whatever he says. I- I'm sure as, Oscar Meyer Wiener. as soon as they decided to cast him, they just decided, all right, he- he's going to do what he does. I'm not sure why they cast him. I don't, I mean, I didn't love or dislike Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary was fine in the 90s. It wasn't one of my favorites, but I didn't detest him either. I don't know why he's in this movie. If you make it a minor character, then whatever. He's pretty minor, though. He's pretty minor, but then in that moment, he kind of thrusts himself. Oh, it's like Dennis Leary trying to make himself the star of the movie in a way. Like it's, I'm sure it's, I doubt he was the one who suggested it. I'm sure they're like, oh, you do one of those rants like you do. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. But I don't know, maybe. Because I, I think what the point was is that they cast him because they wanted the opposite of the architect of the society and somebody who wants total libertarianism and do whatever you feel like. Sure. Oh, yeah. And Brad Goodman. Yeah, and you need that figure in the movie. I just don't like the way they kind of handled it. I, I'm, I, I don't disagree with you on it. I'm not sure it's his fault necessarily. Yeah, probably not. Um. But you know what I mean? I feel like the movie is asking. The movie wants us to be like, "Yeah, we're with you, Dennis Leary." It's just like I, they overplay their hand with him, and then they're just like, whatever that that rant is that he does, it just totally shut me down as far as his character. Uh, look, I I can understand that, but I think he's a minor enough character. The thing that really makes me feel when you say it feels very nineties is Rob Schneider is actually what makes <laughs> yeah. me feel that if there's anything that you were to say, Olson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you before we do this episode that it feels very 90s. I want you, word association, what are you going to come up with? I would have said Rob Schneider's in it. Yeah, but 90s Rob Schneider is less offensive than like he 2000s is, Rob Schneider. But he, it, it's still Rob Schneider. I, it just, I don't think he really does anything that feels too bad. Welcome he, to the San Angeles Police Department. If you'd prefer, I just, every, I'm not a fan. Oh, I'm not a fan of Rob Schneider either. He doesn't know he had to use the three seashells. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he's that bad. I don't like Rob Schneider either. I get your d- dislike for Rob Schneider. I think in this movie, he's more or less playing it. He's playing it as straight as he's capable of playing it. Let me put it that way. That's a fair statement. That <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't think he's he's really mugging as much as you're making him out to be. Feel, he feels like a Saturday Night Live 90s star, and that's what... And that's what puts me, if you were to say, what feels like the 90s about this movie, you're right on Dennis Leary, yeah. also Rob Schneider. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I got back into a corner of defending Rob Schneider, but, uh, you know. <laughs> that was I, my plot all I don't, I don't think he's that bad. But, yeah, I mean, whatever. Rob Schneider, Dennis Leary, both of them are not helping it in terms of feeling no. feeling like a 90s movie. So you want to talk about Taco Bell? Uh, yeah, we can talk about Taco Bell. <laughs> at, franchise war. Yeah, I would, so I, I might have had... I don't know if I had this in a different segment. I don't think I did. It's one of the things, if you were to tell me what, for over the last 25 years, that if there's one thing that I would never forget about this movie, it is the dinner and dancing at Taco Bell. Yeah. Anytime that I go, and whatever, I probably shouldn't admit that I enjoy Taco Bell. I do. I can't Fine. not think of dinner and dancing at Taco Bell. And when... It was about a year ago that they Yum Brands that owns Taco Bell came out with a, a concept, the Taco Bell Cantina. It is, a, it's like a high-end restaurant out in L.A. <laughs> Do they wear the frilly sh- like sleeves and all they that? Don't they don't have those, but if they if they had a great sense of humor, they absolutely <laughs> would have d- dusted those off. And three nachos with like the little squiggly. <laughs> yes. and- I, at least for me, it's one of the things in this movie, and maybe it's just because of my I liked Taco Bell at the time. I still kind of do. It's like you don't have to apologize for liking Taco no, Bell. No, whatever. It's but it's one of the things like in this movie, I love the fact that 
all restaurants are Taco Bell. See, and that's the thing that I, f- I think would have been more the focus if it was made today of like in terms of like the satire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like government, who cares about government anymore? It's like government has no power. <laughs> it's like Taco Bell would rule the world if this, you know what I mean? Exactly. You know, like if they're the only corporation left, they're the only restaurant. The restaurant. It's okay. the only restaurant. Let's see. That wasn't clear. Cause well, they said, no, like, cause there's cocktail industries, which manages the cryo prison. There's other businesses, but they right. are the only restaurant. Well, but how do we know that cocktail industries isn't a subsidiary of Taco Bell? <laughs> Yeah. So really, that was the board of directors of Taco Bell. <laughs> sure, is what yeah. you're saying in that conference room, right? Every criminal wakes up and they all they know is how to make chalupas. You know, <laughs> that's what their programming is. Taco Grandes. Oh man. Well, I, at least for me, I think that covers the plot. Is there anything else that you had in your notes? You know, for the plot, because then I, I'd I'd like to get to the uh, the technology. Oh uh, yeah, we can get segment. Are you ready? Yeah. You want you want another jingle? Yeah. What do you got for technology? <laughs> this. Up in the cloud. <laughs> what cloud? <laughs> what cloud? What is that from? That's a little, kind of a long one. That's from Rocky. Well, Rocky Four is the music. Okay, <laughs> the, the Creed. That's the clip from Creed. Oh, Creed. That's I've only seen Creed once, so I <laughs> I forgot about it. Uh, that is actually very appropriate. So for the, so for the concept for this segment, this is uh, this is new for us. What I what I envision it to be is that how would you know modern technology, basically in older movies, and this is an older movie, but how would it ruin the plot? Because sure. a lot of the times it can unravel if you had a cell phone. Does it have to ruin the plot, or does it just like how would it be different? No, how I, how would it be different? I'm, sure, but, okay. But like for me, <laughs> you just want to destroy the movie. No, I'm just. It's like one of those. Some of these, you know, I look at a movie and it's like this. Yeah, this entire premise falls apart immediately if you have a cell phone. Yeah. Uh, but for this. I, maybe you came up with some. I really came up with on this one more of the things that were either bad projections like cryo prisons and then the things that actually have come to fruition. I didn't really come up with anything that necessarily is a plot killer. Did you? Oh, I've got. Well, I don't know. It's not a plot killer. I wasn't, right. I wasn't coming in with guns Whatever. drawn like you are, apparently. <laughs> no, but uh, should I start or you, yeah, you want to? Let's fire away. So, yeah, in my mind, and again, maybe I was just uh, preoccupied with the Dennis Leary character, but. <laughs> That guy isn't there a, na- a name bouncing around <laughs> in that brain of yours, Edgar? Friendly. friendly, Edgar? Friendly. By the way, do you think that that was actually on the screen? That was one of my like. We'll just get to it now. But like when he's at that kiosk and it's showing like oh he's talking murder to death kill. Is that just in his mind or is it actually displaying on the little screen there? I don't think it was displaying on the screen. I think it was only okay. In his head. I think so too. I wasn't entirely sure. Oh, okay, but so Edgar Friendly. Um, which I wonder if Stallone named. He didn't. He doesn't have a writing credit, but that sounds like a Stallone name, if you ask me. It's a dumb name. It's like uh, Smiley from Expendables Three. It's not too different. Yes. You know, they're both dumb names. They're by both the way. ironic because they're not very friendly. He's not very friendly. Not at all. Smiley's not very smiley. But anyway, I think today Edgar Friendly would have a YouTube show. It, he would be like, he would basically be. Uh, um, oh God, what's that guy's name? The, who has the internet show? Who's the the he rants all the time. He's a conservative, uh, like, oh, uh, Jones. God, what's his name? Oh, I know who you're talking about. What's that guy's name? I know it'll come to me like after we're done recording, of course. But you I, know what I'm talking about. Yes. So Edgar Friendly would have a YouTube show where he just that rants totally, about the government. It and totally makes sense. He would have like a million conspiracy theories and you know Cocteau and a ton of followers, right? And co- he, he, like Cocteau caused the great quake of 2010. Yes, uh, a million absolutely. You're right. Yeah, that's that's in my mind. That's how if if the internet existed in this world, 
Yeah. It would be just like super constricted and everything would be banned. Like, you know, it'd be more, no pornography in the internet and all that. Cocteau would see to that, all that. But he would have a secret, like, you know, the yeah, dark, right. the dark net, the, the friend, dark web, the right? friendly net, you yeah. know. <laughs> so I, I think uh, at the very least that character, I think that's how it would change. I, I think that, I think that's a very good observation. I hadn't thought about that. Well, and this is a thing I meant to bring up in the big picture. Why don't you, why don't you do your thing first? And then right, I've got something fine. to loop back around. So to. did you have anything else kind of on the technology front? No, I mean, I, I think definitely the internet. I feel like if the internet existed in the movie, the end of the movie would be about, it would be like they live where it's like, we got to get the message out on the internet to the people, you know, that'd be like the girl, you know, the net starring that girl from the bus. I've never actually seen the net. To be honest, You've never seen the net. (laughs) No, I've never actually seen it. (laughs) (laughs) I've only, I quote the Seinfeld episode that references the girl from the bus. Now we may need to do a Sandra Bullock podcast just so you have to see the net. (laughs) I should see the net. It's been, I I never had the felt the need to. It probably is really dated. I have not seen it probably since it came out. Is that how the net ends? Or it's like, we got to flip the, switch and get the information out to the people i don't remember anymore but that's, i feel like that's how if the movie was made now with the internet that's how it would end with yeah. he's helping edgar, edgar friendly switch the, the internet so that it's free and now everyone can get the truth about no it. that's a good observation i missed that so the only i came up with some things that were either you know really missed the mark uh you already covered the cryo prisons that that was a big leap and a big mistake uh, but, you know, video chat and actually iPads, right, or tablets, really. Not that you know, those had never been done in movies before, but they got it right. I mean, those weren't that – it wasn't that far away, but they're certainly pro- prevalent and relevant today. Sure. Uh, you know, back in the early 90s, I don't know if you know this, but airbags were not very common. They were just really starting to become standard equipment on cars. So the car turning into a cannoli, we haven't gotten there yet, but <laughs> yeah. that was a pretty big leap, and I kind of want to see a car turn into a cannoli. I wish we had that technology. I'm sure they've tested something. Somewhere they've done a test to see if they could figure it out. Yeah. I'll bet there's footage somewhere. And then obviously, right, I mean, we're, we're on the precipice. It's taken a long time, but the self-driving cars, their, their idea of this, you know, where they're actually going to be, they're not even going to have steering wheels. So this idea that you can have manual override, that's not going to have been in there. Um, and not that the driverless car is anything that hasn't been in a lot of futuristic movies, but they yeah. they, they got it right, and we're not that far from it. Well, I agree with you. You're not going to be able to take over control. Nope. I feel like we had this conversation, yeah, was we, it sixth day? And I th- yeah, I think so. Didn't you say that you thought people would be able to take control of the car? I, I, I think initially, but at, at the point of where they're at, I mean, this? certainly they're not going to have like weird shrinking steering wheels. I don't know what the point of that is. I don't know either. It could just not function. It's like, why does <laughs> why, it need to? Why does it have an expand and contract? Yeah, it's just a weird visual thing. So here's something that was really quaint and is very 90s. So I'm surprised you didn't mention it. But so I understand the surveillance, you know, state. But having laser discs or real little mini discs <laughs> yeah. for those recordings is very quaint. That's very today. extremely quaint. That is very quaint. I have another thing that uh, I'm going to bring up next segment that's very 90s. Okay. Um, are you, you're, you got more? I only got, I only got one other one in the technology, and it actually really dubs back to the sixth day, too. Answer me this. Why does every museum and building have narration when John Spartan walks in? <laughs> I right. just don't understand this technology in the future. Can only, you know, can only he hear? I guess Phoenix has it, too, when he's walking through the music. You are now entering the Hall of Violence. Is it only that individual that can hear that? Or every time as somebody's coming in, does it just repeat, you are now entering the hall of violence? I think it only starts playing those personalized messages once the the violence starts happening. When the museum is just open for business, the message is more like, welcome to the hall of violence. This is the wing of whatever. This is the weapons wing. But that's what I'm saying. Is it on a constant loop? Oh, I imagine so, yes. 
Oh, that would be awful. I'm glad that we don't have that technology. Well, I mean, it, I can kind of see it in a music. If it play, let's say it plays once every five minutes or so, like it assumes people are going to cycle in and out. It's like right. I think a museum is one of the few places where that actually makes sense. But I, well, the I mean, museum does. But you know what I'm talking about. There's other places where right, in an so, office building it doesn't make sense. It's Welcome to the what was it? Uh, Cocteau Industries. No, no, no. In, no, I'm thinking of uh, Eraser. Oh, um, well, in the sixth day, it was the Weir Center. Yeah, there's always these messages. Welcome to the Weir Center. It's like, I'm, yeah, but what was it in Eraser? Because they changed the name yeah, of it. Yeah, they changed the name. made a big name of it. I don't remember. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, so that's really all I had on the technology front. And it was, I'm hoping that in different movies, I'll be able to come up with things that are more indicative of how things would be different. Uh, it's tough with a sci-fi movie. Because yeah, it it's like, you're, you're dealing with it on like two axes. You're dealing with it on the year that it was made and the year that it's set. Right. And, you know, that's it's tough to, to navigate that. But, yeah, I mean, I think um, – I don't think they were trying to predict the future. So it, you can't really criticize it for not getting it right because it's like – it's pretty clear they were just making it a joke. Yeah, I mean – Three seashells. That's, that's not a real, like, futurist prediction. They didn't talk to experts like, how will we wipe our ass in the future? <laughs> Sorry, I have my curse again. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but um, you – that, another thing, I just—it's not technology or real technology, but there's genius in that because this movie I do think is trying to poke fun of itself a little bit. That and Taco Bell are like the thing. If you had to just again word association, what are things that are unique to Demolition? The three seashells. Yeah. It's genius. Yeah, it really is. Like even the 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 foam, like it's pretty creative with the ways in which it presents its silly future. Yeah, you know, like it, it's actually unique in a way that's it's not like stock like. Flying cars. No. You know, like the, the standard issue, like future stuff. No, they take, again, it's, it's to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I like it that they are, they're trying to have fun with it. Yeah, so. no, I agree. It, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not trying to be a real like futuristic prediction, you know. It's, right. the, the future that they present serves, it's there to service the story. It's not there to, to be like real or, you know. It's back to the future too, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's all a big joke. Uh, and so, you know, from kind of the technology, I, I think uh, I'm I'm really excited about our next segment, which is I think what we probably had, had accomplished and done the best job of. Well, our, uh, our old podcast, it's like we drilled down to the nitty gritty of every single scene, whereas now we're just going to choose things to drill down on. That way yeah. we're not doing it for the whole movie. Uh, and so this is what uh, we affectionately refer to as the little details. And we, we spent a lot of time on little details in uh, uh, bad puns or Working on Arnold, so I'm excited about what we come up with uh, on the Stallone movies. Oh, I realized I, I accidentally took off my jingle. Oh, so wait, I need to. I need to. Very disappointing. Well, I'll just I'll I'll lead into with one, oh, here, that cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. <laughs> <laughs> just I had to figure something out. So that's what, that's from Ed Wood. Yes. <laughs> How do you remember? It's just that I was trying to think of something. Obviously, that, that's that's basically what we do on this podcast, or at least what we did on Bad, uh, Bad Puns and Machine. That guys. is a great line. I wish I remembered that. Line. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's just like that guy would have been perfect on our podcast. Like that. That's what we do. Anyway. All right. So what? What? Uh, I'm going to let you lead off. What little detail would you like to lead? Well, off since we were talking about the '90s, I just want to touch on the like cyber sex scene because I think that is one of the most '90s things in multiple ways. Number one, just the idea of cyber sex it was such a new thing. It's like, ooh, that's how, you know, like, that's the future is put on a headset. Mr. Instead. and Mrs. Erotic American. What is that from? That's from The Simpsons when Marge and Homer are listening to a book on tape about uh, trying to rekindle oh, their marriage. Right, 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 right. But the thing that is most 90s about it, I think, it's assumption that 
actual sex is super dangerous. You know what I mean? Like it does take a big leap in terms of, you know, the series of diseases. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I wonder if millennials even really appreciate how, oh. how much it was presented when we were coming up, when we were growing up and it was just like, don't have sex, you'll die. You know what I mean? Like it seems yeah. so preposterous in hindsight, but that's totally like the message that was being presented to well, us when yeah. we were growing up. And that's this movie's point of view on sex in space. I mean, I, it's, it's, <laughs> In part, it's satirical. Like, obviously, it's it's a little bit presented I, as ridiculous. But but keep in mind, I mean, this is 1993. So when you're writing and you're producing and, and filming the movie, you're earlier in the 90s, coming out of the 80s. And I mean, the the AIDS epidemic. I mean, the, it was a scary time. Oh, I, mean, I don't. Yeah, I'm not, survival rates and treatment. I, I'm not. I, I'm not I'm, trying to belittle that. I'm not saying that you are, but I understand. You also have to put in context what it was just coming off of sure that's, they, a, good, that's they, a good point they made an unfair leap right and now looking bad it's absurd right but i this, can this assumption by this movie that it'll just get worse and worse and like that it, we'll never discover technology what's great is how much technology it projects and predicts that we can that we can invent that makes our lives so great but we can't find a cure for those things it's, right it's probably not log- a logical conclusion well but i think it would have been kind of funny if this movie kind of revealed that it was just it was a pretense you know, because it's all really pretense when it comes to, like, that kind of sex. I mean, for our grandparents, it was, don't have sex before marriage, you'll go to hell. And then yes. for our parents, it was, don't have sex before marriage, you'll get pregnant. And, now and for us, it die. was, you'll die. And it's like... It's really up in the ante. But it's all a pretense. It's all, like... It's, it's the all same thing. It's nonsense. Yeah. So I think it, it would have been funny if this movie actually took it to the most logical conclusion and said, like, actually, this is just Cocteau's way of manipulating them. Yeah, you know, but so, it never really goes there. No, but you know what? It reminds you discussing this because that's that scene and that stuff. It's kind of throwaway to me. I've never. Oh really? Oh this yeah. Is, I, this is one of those things like the seashells that I remember. Oh really? So, Maybe the age that I saw this, and you know, I, I did and kind of still do have a thing for Sandra Bullock. So okay, it's like, that's fair. But you those know, those little shots of her like moaning in the VR thing. <laughs> like, I, I remember that. So you know what? It reminds me of though. That's a very '90s. I bet if I went back and watched it today, what's that? Virtuosity. Oh, yes. I haven't course. seen Virtuosity, but that that's probably the movie that if you want to talk about 90s, you know, sci-fi, yeah. I bet you Virtuosity fits it perfectly. Absolutely. 90s 90s idea of what VR is is always hilarious in hindsight. It's just one of those technologies that I mean, there weren't that many movies. I guess there was like um Lawnmower Man and <laughs> I guess Johnny Mnemonic kind of. Absolutely. That really, is that VR? Yeah, I think so. I guess it is. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's VR has kind of made a comeback recently and it's kind of getting there. But even now, you know, still all these there. years later, it's not even close to what they were predicting. And I mean, when you really think about it, some of the things, I mean, we're probably as close to the self-driving car as we are to like virtual reality. That's predicted, you know, projected in these movies. And you think just of how much goes into a car to be able to drive itself. And the fact that we've been able to advance quicker in that, in that, in 1993, it just was assumed, oh, yeah, virtual reality, that, that's a foregone conclusion. Right. Well, but the thing is, now it's, it feels more like a foregone conclusion than it even did then. Because I think even by 93, the whole like virtual reality thing was very – it became clear very quickly that like this is not even close Feasible. to being ready. Yeah. I remember those old – do you ever go to those old virtual reality centers? Like in, there was one in uh, uh, North Pier in the city no. by the Battletech Center. No. Did you ever go to the Battletech Center? Any, any of that stuff? I like lived there for a year. It was like anytime, it's like, Mom, take me down to the Battletech Center. <laughs> and next to the, ba- the Battletech Center was really fun. 
Um, there were these pods that you would like control. I'm really getting off topic now, but uh, no, I didn't know this at all. It was multiplayer, like video games before that even existed. And it was like eight pods and you'd get in them and all these crazy controls. And I was great at it because I knew all the controls. But anyway, next, (laughs) next to the Battletech center, while I was there, it's like, Oh, here's this VR thing. And they had a game called Dactyl Panic. Was it awful? It was awful. You were just like this man who was like, who didn't even animate. He just kind of like his feet didn't even move when you walked. He would just like slide around. And there were four of you, and you'd try to kill each other. But then while you were fighting, a pterodactyl would fly around. <laughs> and you'd hear in your headset, it would be like, it's coming. And then it would swoop down at you, and you'd be like, ah, and you'd try to shoot the pterodactyl. It was awful. <laughs> Which I would have played it now. And I mean, this is around this time. I bet it was like a year or two earlier. But this is like 91, 92. And as a 12-year-old kid, I remember going like, VR will never be a real thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's getting there now, but... Given the period that this movie was made in, yeah. it's like, by 93, I feel like they should have known that this was well, not going the right okay, way. Okay, yeah, I, I guess Virtuosity the, came out after that. That was like 95. Yeah, that's true. I mean, movies take a long time to make. Yeah. I'll give Demolition Man a pass. Virtuosity, it should have known, known better. For sure. All right, so my first little detail. I'm embarrassed to admit this. Until this viewing, I had no idea that there was a song, Demolition Man, by the police, and that I didn't even know that Sting was covering it at the end of this movie. And can I say, I will admit, I am not the music expert on this podcast. You are. It is terrible. It's a bad song. I agree completely. It is terrible. Well, here's the thing. I don't think the original was by the police, was it? I thought that's what I read, but I, I could be wrong. What I had read is that, that Sting wrote the song, the police didn't like it and didn't want to do it, and so he sold it to uh, uh, Grace Jones. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Grace Jones sang the original. Okay. And that Sting is covering his own song that he wrote, but sold to Grace Jones, and then he covered it for this movie. Well, you may be be right. I did not look that up. I I, think that's what the story is. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm glad, up until this viewing, I never realized it over the, the credits. It's terrible. Yeah, it's a bad song. I completely agree. Sting has like six songs in this. I found the soundtrack. They're all bad. Okay. I mean, I don't know if it's It is not a Last Action Hero soundtrack, is what you're saying? No. I don't even know. Sting, I guess, was still pretty big in oh, yeah. three, but like something about the production of it, it's like really echoey and it just, I could see that being a good song if you like cleaned it up a little bit, but well, maybe yeah, I, it, it's I, a, I hated I, it. I agree. So especially like the way it just kind of launches in, in the credits. No, it, it's it's, just, that's the only reason I noticed it because I was getting into credits and I think I wanted to maybe see, I, I don't remember what I want. I wanted out of the, the credits, but I'm like, damn it. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. It's terrible. And it's like he's singing harmony with himself, but it sounds like it sounds like it was like a fake harmony. It's like you know those there's those machines where you sing a note and then it automatically layers a note on top of it. Yes, I think he's using that, so it sounds really funny. Like yeah, it's it's an awful song. All right, what other what other le- I got a few, but what what else you got on the little details? So I don't know if you noticed there the guy because you noticed him in Predator too. He's the the captain from uh, Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. Did you notice him here? I, I said I. I do I have it? On, yeah, actually, it's about number five here. I <laughs> okay, have, if you're going to have a Lethal Weapon poster, you need the police captain from Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and she chooses we- Lethal Weapon 3 of all movies to hang on her wall. I've got a whole list of things that's in her office. W- was Lethal Weapon 3, it was probably the most recent, so that's probably, they were like maybe putting a plug in for Lethal Weapon 3 is my guess. Yeah, it must have been, because that was I, probably I, 92. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, do you want to go through your list of junk that she has in her office? Oh, we can do that first. What, what do you want? Do you want to do that, or do you want to talk about uh, the captain from? Oh, well, let's talk about the captain. All right. So here's the thing. I, I realized when I was doing the research for this because I was like, oh, it's that guy again. 
And again, I'm not that up on Lethal Weapon movies. I do remember him. In Lethal Weapon and all those movies, he plays a, he's the police captain. Yep. In this movie, he's a police something. Like He's in charge of the crime he's scene. He's a commanding officer, at least of Spartan. Because Spartan clearly has to answer to him. Right. And in Predator 2, he's a cop. And I realized he has a small part in Superman, which is a movie that I love. And I went, oh, my God, it's that guy. He also plays a cop. He's a cop in... <laughs> He, he, you a, think he's like Dennis Farina, and he just you know was an ex cop. Well, he's, he's actually Richard Donner's cousin. Oh, okay. actually, we were speculating that he, we said like he kind of looks like Richard Donner, and it turns out he's his cousin. But he's a Metropolis cop in Superman, and there's a guy telling him that he saw Superman. And I saw a guy swoop down, and this, this guy, Richard Donner's cousin, uh, I have his name somewhere, Steve Cahan. Is okay. His name. And he's going, oh, yeah, a guy swooped down in bright red boots and big, a big blue bird. And, and then he sees Superman. He's like, oh, you know, Marty or whatever. <laughs> so in all four movies, he plays a cop. And I feel like I want to speculate this is all the same guy. And he had a real, a real rise and fall. Because if you track this, in 1978, he's a street cop in Metropolis. <laughs> In 1980, I, in, <laughs> I like this. This is Silk Cozart. Uh, well, and this isn't even my research thing. My research thing is pretty simple. Uh, in 1987, he's the police captain in L.A. Is that where Lethal Weapon is set? Yes. Okay. I think those are in so L.A. He's, he's the captain of the entire precinct, at least something. Yeah. And that's set in 87. And then here in 1996 in Demolition Man, he's in charge of the crime scene, but I don't think he's the police captain. So, so what it, you're saying is Riggs and Murtaugh forced him to lose some of his stripes. <laughs> yeah, I think he's been having a little bit of a downslide. And then Predator 2 is set in 1997, one year after Demolition Man, and he's just some plucky guy. I'll do whatever you want, guy. I'll help out. He's just like a sergeant or something. So that guy had a real rise and fall if you track that trajectory. You're right. He, you're absolutely. That is a great observation. So that's just all. I mean, once I noticed, once I realized he was the guy in Superman 2, he's one of my favorite bit guys in <laughs> Superman 2. Yeah, he swooped down like a big blue bird in bright red boots. You know, he's like doing this like a New York thing. It's great. Anyway. So what's, uh, what's in her office? Okay. Here's the list of things in Leanna, Lenina Huxley's office. It's not very veiled, by the way, the Brave New World. Not only does uh, Simon Phoenix say it's a Brave New World, you have the author of the book as a character in the movie. Oh, yeah, he does say it's a Brave New World. He does. I didn't even notice that. Um, Okay. That's when he has act flag, by the way. I mentioned many times that gun in our Bad Puns podcast. While you brought that up, let's talk about that gun, because I realized watching this movie that that gun is garbage. It's not a, it's like, oh, where are the fancy ray guns? It's like, why would you ever use a gun that can only fire every 2.6 minutes or whatever I was going to say, it's basically like a bad version of the rail gun in Eraser. The, the crazy, like, laser he gets at the end, which is only designed to cut ice, is it's, a way better weapon than that <laughs> plasma gun or whatever it's called. You know what I mean? Like It, it is. How is that a better weapon? It fires once. It's like the whole point of automatic weapons is you can fire more rounds. Yeah. It's just like the, whoever can put the more rounds in the, in the air wins. In reality, and that's you're right. the opposite of Act it. flag is underwhelming. And it's not like it really like kills everything in a radius. Like all uh, John blew, Spartan has to do is dive out of the way. Yeah, he got away from the fire hydrant and he was fine. It blows up the hi- fire hydrant that has water pumping to it, even though this is a museum <laughs> <laughs> display. That's one of the little details. Okay, sorry to cut you off. Also, they, they call it a 20th century street scene, and then they also say 2010. It was, it's left over from 2010, so that doesn't make sense. Anyway, back to the Lena Huxley's office. Here are the things she has in her office. So, a bunch of toy vehicles. She's got a police car, a fire truck, helicopter. She's got a 50s toy robot. <laughs> She's got a weird figure of two fighting marshmallows or something. Oh, Gar- I didn't see that. Garcia picks it up and looks at it. I'm like, what, is, what even is that? She's got a Raiders NFL football helmet. 
I couldn't tell if it was Oakland or L.A. or Las Vegas. I was going to say, could it have been Las Vegas, <laughs> <It's> potentially? <laughs> it could have been. Um, it's hard to say. If even You never hear about anything outside of San Angeles in this movie. Like We don't even know if it exists anymore. Like The whole world could be destroyed. We wouldn't even know. It was the earthquake, and it destroyed everything except <laughs> for Global San, earthquake? San Diego, Santa Monica, and L.A. Yeah, that, that's one of my questions. I, I, I jumped ahead, but one of my questions later is, what is the scale of that? So we can, we can talk about that later. Okay, Lethal Weapon 3 poster. We already talked about that. Yep. Two Super Soaker water bulbs just detached and placed on a shelf. <laughs> That's great. Those, like, green, you know, yes. those tanks. Yeah. Um, which I was like, does she think they're decorative? Like, why does she have that? I didn't see a super soaker nearby or anything. So, so what you're so what that's telling me is that whoever she bought him bought those from just totally took her. She, <laughs> right. she like thought that those were valuable. It's like, no, these are the parts left though. I broke the super soaker and this is all I had left. Nineties decorative plastic vases. Exactly. Yeah. She had it on eBay, like you know, Cocteau's version of eBay. Uh the samurai sword made out of balsa wood or something. Uh, there's a cassette tape just Loose, not in a case. There's a kazoo, I think, on her desk. Yes, I do remember the kazoo. Okay, I, I couldn't tell. That's one thing. I, I was watching this DVD, and this is a real old DVD. It's so. not good quality. Yeah, if I had high def, this, I'd be more sure about these things. Uh, there's a 12-inch kabuki doll. There's some weird like Klingon-looking knives behind glass. <laughs> there's a poster of the Red Hot Chili Peppers album cover for Blood Sugar Sex Magic. There's another album cover called Hate Fed Love. I, I saw that one. I didn't know what that was for. It's by a band named Bomb. I'd never heard of them. I looked them up. That album has like 800 views on YouTube. Like they're just a nothing band. It must have been like a friend of the some, a production, the director, who knows what. Yep. Two toy ray guns, one of which is under glass. <laughs> she must really think this stuff is valuable. Or maybe it is. It could be the collectibles. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it actually is valuable. Maybe it was still functioning. It could be. Maybe it was one of those. It was the original back flag. Yeah, it was like the pistol version. Is that what it says, by the way? Because the subtitle said something totally different. But I think at least I think it is act flag. What I hear every time, and I, I mean, I referenced it on past episodes. I hear act flag has now been reactivated. It says something like that for sure. Yeah, the subtitle says something totally different. Like subtitles, you're totally wrong. Oh, also, the subtitles made a mistake in the scene where. Wesley Snipes is pumping up his new crew that they have been unfrozen. With Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah. It screws up the plot even where he goes, remember he goes like, we can run this place. All we have to do is kill a man named Raymond. Yes. He says Raymond. Yeah, Raymond Cocteau. Exactly. The subtitle says friendly. Oh, come on. I swear it does. On the that, DVD it does anyway. That does ruin the plot. Then, yeah, it's that's, totally wrong. That's not what he needs to so, do. So, yeah, I, I hope they fix that in Blu-rays and things. But uh, anyway, back to this list. So, a Batman and a Joker toy that are clearly Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it's from that era, for sure. And it's a Warner Brothers movie, so... Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about yeah, that. I'm sure that was not unintentional. Uh, a purple glow stick, a silver doodad that looks like a fencing sword hilt, a large yellow egg... <laughs> I could not. She, she got taken. I have no idea. We what both that. grew up in the 20th century, and none of this stuff. I've never seen anything like that egg. It's right behind her. It's just a big yellow egg. It's like eight, nine inches tall. I don't know what it's supposed to be. It looks like a balloon, but it's solid. Somebody just had a big fish on the hook, and yeah. they were just reeling her in. They probably initially <laughs> sold her like a, like the lethal weapon, a couple of legitimate ones, and sure. then 
She thought that the this guy was the expert on the 20th century, and he was just scrounging stuff like in pickers, right? And he was just finding junk and saying, oh, yeah, like you said, these are vases. These, these were very valuable. Junk is right. I was just thinking, do you think that flows up from Friendly's crew? Like the, <laughs> It's like, you know, because it's described as contraband. Do you think yes. they're, that's how they get money? Just, they find stuff lying around in the sewers, and they, are, they clean it up, and they right. convince people like Huxley that, oh, yeah, this is a remnant. She she comes into work one day. She's like, "I bought this really cool uh, antique Taco Bell <laughs> tub. <laughs> Why does it have the logo from like last year? It's, oh, it's it's antique. They swear." Um, and then lastly is the snakes in the can that Garcia yeah opens up. So anyway, that's that list. All right, so I've got a couple of things that um, certainly date the movie and not in a good way. So you've got uh, Jeffrey Dahmer being referenced in terms of one of the cryo prison mates. Yeah, I have kind of two minds about that moment. All right, well, what are your two minds? Well, here, let me get the other one. So the, okay. the other one is, again, you know, I'm not making light of it, but having Scott Peterson as one of the uh, potential names, uh, it's either for the parole hearing or later when they're going through trying to find the five special men. Scott, Scott Peterson. Oh, you don't know Scott Peterson? I don't think so. Oh, he's um, he, he's a murderer uh, out in California. He had a wife, pregnant wife. It was a you know, it was he's yeah, he's oh, he's not well, a he's not a good human being. Well, that makes it even worse because I, I my two minds were Wesley Snipes sells that moment so much. It's really funny because Jeffrey Dahmer. I love that guy, but it's they should not be making that joke. It's gross. Like, yeah, you know there are real victims of these people like, using, no. using them as the as a joke. Yeah, no, no, it. That's what. That's my two minds. I, I, but will, I really do think Wesley Snipes. I will, sell, it's funny. You, you are right. He, in terms of the character, Wesley Snipes does sell a line. It's not. It's not a good line, and it also dates the movie, right? Because yeah. it is not humanly possible for when the time periods that he. I think Dahmer I have in here was killed in prison in, in prior to ninety six. I think in ninety. It might have been the next year in ninety four. I think he was killed in prison. It was either ninety four or ninety five. It was before ninety six when. The prisoners would have been able to have been cryogenically frozen. Sure. They shouldn't have made the joke regardless of being factually incorrect. It's like that's the least of its problems. So here's a here's a positive one that I, I have to cover and want to have in here. Of the you know, the the oldies and having the show tunes. I, I think that's a fun like running joke. Uh, show tunes or commercials. Uh, commercials, I'm yeah. sorry. Jingles. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually like that. But I'm gonna tell you right now, by far and away my favorite, I love the fact that in a high end restaurant, the only restaurant you got a piano guy covering it, and the way that guy is selling Jotly Green Giant, Wait, I love that. You're calling him a guy? You don't know who that guy is? No, who is it? I, this is one of those things, one of those trivia things that I thought everyone knew. It's Dan Cortez. I have no idea who that is. Oh, you don't know Dan Cortez? No clue. Dan Cortez was on MTV Sports, and he was, he was around this time, he got pretty famous on MTV wow. for being the lead guy in MTV Sports. Had no idea. So they always do like stories about like we're in the surf championships. Yeah, Shaka. You know, he was like one of the <laughs> one of those guys. Well, I'm telling you right now, Dan Cortez. Okay, well, I can I, understand why you don't know this trivia because you don't even know who it is. But no, yeah. didn't know it was. I love that moment with the Jolly Green Giant. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty good singer. Jolly Green Giants down in the valley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's selling he it. Somehow managed to turn the Jolly Green Giant Giant song into like a Frank Sinatra. Yes, that's yeah. what I think. I, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I'd like to know what other 
of those oldies, those those commercials are getting played at Taco Bell. Well, that's the thing is, I think Dan Cortez was an actor, and then the MTV thing kind of derailed his whole career. Like wow. he just got no, known for being he wasn't a VJ, but he was like a personality. You yeah. Know? So like, and he got attached with that. Maybe he, maybe he was a better actor because I'd only think of him as that MTV sports guy. Like I can't even think of him as like a serious actor. So maybe he could have had a real career if not for that. All right. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, a couple of things. So I want to talk about the computer systems in this world. All right. One good thing and one bad thing. The good thing, whoever designed all of the screens and like the UI and stuff did a great job because it, inc- it communicates a lot of real plot information. Like when Wesley Snipes is going on his rampage and the police are following it on the monitors. Yep. It's really important that it's clear what's happening on those monitors, and they do a great job. And I just want to call that out because yeah. like, it shows like little diagrams of like the parking lot, and you see where the guy died, and they zoom in, and like yeah. although, <laughs> although there is a security camera on the floor next to the, it's the like, warden, it doesn't really make just sense. to get the dramatic moment. Yeah. Right? He, he dies like he's in Shakespeare. He's just like, oh, I'm gonna play to the camera, the security camera. That's not the UI. I mean, whoever did the graphics did a great job. The director put the camera in a stupid place, <laughs> um, but the whole scene. Sandra Bullock's typing furiously, and she's saying, L7, give me a this and then that. It's like one or the other. That's do fair. Do you got to type things, or do you talk to the computer? Which is it? Yeah, and you know, I wonder, I wonder if they thought that it would be too big of a leap, but realistically, if you're talking about a future like they're talking about, I can't imagine why you would still be typing stuff. I mean, I would, right. you, it would be logical to have made, made the leap that you are only speaking well, at that point. It's like they cut the center book. She's typing furiously, and she's saying, "Where's what's the location of the doctor's vehicle? And, it's, and on the screen, the conveyance, you're right. And then on the screen, it shows the text saying, where's the location of the doctor's conveyance? What did she type? Nothing that she typed ended up on the screen. Only the thing that she said ended up on screen. Yeah, I mean, see, she, uh, maybe she's doing something else like on another for, screen. For Phoenix, it makes sense why he might be typing, because he's trying to get behind systems. Right. But for her, I mean, if you're just interfacing with... Here's a sidebar for me, by the way. At the time when I saw this movie, I had no idea what. Hal, tell me where the goddamn guns are. No clue what that meant. Sure, yeah. And like today, I'm like, God, I was such an idiot. How could I have not seen 2001? I guess because I was 13. That's probably one of the few references I did get because I saw that movie You'd pretty young. And so I like those are the things. Again, I love the way this snipes that Simon Phoenix knows the HAL 9000. But it makes sense that he would be typing to like override stuff and find his way through things. She should only be speaking to L7. Right. One or the other, like he's not really speaking. The, the computer is speaking to him when he's in that thing. Right, but he's not really interacting with it in any way. He's just no. typing. So yeah, I mean, it just seemed like a strange choice to have her also be typing. I mean, part of it's just to build energy in the scene. Yeah, I do like that scene. I think it's a really well done sequence where I think it all is. And can I can I say that to this day, the the sound effect and you hadn't called it out, but the sound effect is still in my head from like twenty five years ago of. But when they when they the oh, murder right. death kills start piling up, I never have been able to get that sound effect out of my head. Sure. When did I call that out? You know, I said you didn't. I mean, oh, there's a lot oh, of sorry. sound effects that you will, but I will forever have that in my head. That's true. Because you know what? I tend to notice sounds that I recognize from other things. Whereas, like that's our unique. I think alarm. Pr- I don't think I've ever heard that alarm in any other movie. I mean, I clearly not have seen every movie that exists, but it is unique to me to Demolition Man. I don't remember hearing it in a movie since Demolition I'll Man. Bet, I'll, I'll bet they created it for this movie because, like, a lot of times, like they'll go to a sound library and those are the yeah. things. It's like I can always hear a sound library sound. It's what movie was it where I, I picked out the alarm from Spies Like Us, which is oh. so unique in my mind. 
It's like a It's that kind of a thing. I can't think of a movie, but you absolutely nailed right. it. Right. Yeah, this one is pretty unique. It's yeah. weird how I don't I don't give a movie credit for having a unique thing, but whenever I hear something that's familiar from another movie, I'm like, ah, they stole that from that or whatever. So that that is one that I will never forget though, is the murder, death, kill. Yeah, murder, sure. death. And I always was disappointed and still am in Zachary Lamb. How that cop did not know what a 187 yeah, was. Yeah, I agree. He should have immediately said, that's a homicide. And it should have been a homicide, but whatever. Well, whatever. They changed the, the names yeah, of the code. That, that, you're probably right. That's fine. But he should have immediately known what that code was. Oh, I agree. It's what we were saying where they should have said it. You know, this movie should have been set a thousand years in the future. Yeah. Not 34 or 36, whatever it is. Like, yeah. yeah. I guess it's nice to have a character that he it's knew from before. Yeah. But they don't do anything with that character. There was a scene that they cut where he died. That, where I read that. Simon yeah. Finks killed him, but that, they cut that. It's like, they really don't need that character anymore. Like, no. So while we're on that scene where uh, Simon Phoenix is hacking the, the terminal, I wrote down as best I can, all the different options on the, the screen. <laughs> so here, are the at first it's just power, which is weird. Like why would a public thing have like a power switch? I could just shut it off. Um, but it says power, Ego boost, which I think is what that guy was doing uh, when, when he showed up. So one of my little details I just need to cover today. Yeah, how it. that we don't have, and maybe you do in social media have the ego boost. I can't believe that Facebook hasn't out um, put out from demolition. You look great today. That's what the bots should be. All like the Russian bots yes, that are, are trying to tear people apart. No, it should be the opposite. We need bots that are just like. You inspire you, joy, joy feelings right. in all of those around you. You think it's a real person, but they only exist to boost your ego. I, that is, and that's another thing from this movie that I've never forgotten for 25 years. Right. Was the ego, but you look great today. Well, that's that's what it says to Simon Phoenix when he walks yes, up. Just, just unprompted. Just, I know. That's what I. He I didn't even ask for an ego no, boost. No, but I love the idea that, it, it, that this computer is so friendly to of all characters to Simon Phoenix when he walks up you look great today oh and I just remembered I'd never noticed until just now until this time watching it the little graphics that pop up that say what? you look yes. great that's very 90s it looks like a trapper keeper the whole all the designs and all that absolutely it's like GR8 you know yes. um, two, the number two for today today yeah, yeah you're right so okay power ego boost banking and it says hail which I guess means make a call but I assume it doesn't summon hailstorms or something. Like, no, but maybe it brings a, uh, an Uber. Okay, yeah, it could be. It, it, that's probably more correct than what I I thought. Maybe it was a t- uh, phone call, but yeah, maybe it calls a that's cab. That's what I'm going to guess. You can call a cab. I, yeah, I think you're right. Um, citizen confessional, which is very low-key sinister. <laughs> oh, I want to know what that is. <laughs> that's very sinister when you think about it. Citizen <laughs> confessional. <laughs> Tell us the things you did wrong. Like, yeah, that someone's going to come and get you if you do that, I'm sure. There's one that I couldn't make out public something test. I don't know. There's telephone directory serenity ratings, which I have no idea what that means. Serenity now, insanity <laughs> right. later. Well, I thought maybe it pulled up all the Amazon reviews for the movie Serenity, but <laughs> I don't think so. That would be great. And that just says clear and speaker, which I, I was speculating. that That's just the point where like the production designer just ran it. And, I got to go home. <laughs> clear speaker. <laughs> you know, I got to get. I got to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, it's dinner time. Uh, and then I also have Edgar, Edgar Friendly's file that it says it has all his uh, offenses, which I don't know if it's worth getting into, but something I noticed this time, and I think it's only because on a recent James Bonding episode, Paul F. Tompkins was complaining about how movies will use people's like headshots for their photo, and once I realized that Dennis Leary's picture in there is just his headshot. That's just he's like making like a eh, I am an actor face. Like he kind of is. You're right. No, it, it is. I am. Sh- I am <laughs> totally sure they just use his headshot. It's black and white. 
It is. His it's, hair, his head, it's his head. His shot. hair is actually kind of yeah. It's perfect. Like perfect it's not some kind of mug shot. It looks like it's a, it's, a, it's his head shot. <laughs> and I, I swear, like a week ago, they were pointing this out in some Bond movie or something similar. And so because of that, I was I noticed it and was like, oh boy, that's just his head shot. And then it zooms in on his eye and all that. It also says his date of birth is five seventeen ninety, which I guess would be about right. Oh, I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. No, uh, they cheated Stallone's age. I have a note about here that somewhere I forget what it is. Oh, because she says not bad for a seventy-four year old. Yes, and I did the math, and seventy-four years prior would have been nineteen fifty-six. That uh, that's way too young for Stallone. Yeah, uh, they're saying he was thirty-eight when he got frozen. <laughs> it's like no, 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 no. There's some statham going on there as far as like cheating his age. <laughs> For those that don't know, yeah, we listen uh, to the Expendables. Yeah, episodes. listen to the Expendables episodes. That's uh, the only other thing that I, I did like, and it's not necessarily a little detail, but I liked uh, in the opening. I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached. I, I do like the bookends on that. Yeah, once you know, it's pretty strong foreshadowing. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's, whatever. It's yeah. It's Again, a for what this movie is, I, it's not taking itself seriously. No, it's funny. I like that. Yeah. So that's that's what I had in kind of the little details for this one. There's some good ones in there. Yeah, it, it's it holds together pretty well. I think there are some uh, some things that, uh, like I said, I was surprised that it didn't age as well as I thought. But I, mean, I think that's all I got too. All right. So then, uh, what we have is another thing. I think that you really like to poke the bear with me is playing devil's <laughs> advocate. Is what we've got up next, yes. where we kind of ask either rhetorical or legitimate or somewhat farcical questions right. about either plot or just ideas and concepts. Yeah, let's go for it. I got a jingle for you. All right, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. <laughs> I want to have them answered immediately. <laughs> that one I immediately know what it's from. Okay. Thank you. Both things, I assume. Uh, absolutely. So you want to go first with uh, with a question? Yeah, I, I touched on this. And so I'll let's... try to answer them immediately i touched on this. this is a legitimate question so I, and we already touched on it so let's talk about it now so in terms of what is the scale of dr cocteau's influence because it doesn't it, the movie never tr- like detects anything outside of san angeles this like los angeles san diego you know, area metroplex so like, is it just there is it all the united states is it all of the world well, is, is there a world out there that's like, what i don't know if there's a world out there i don't think his influence is beyond san angeles i think he just has control of it but I think the it, it, the movie leads you to believe the it is there's not a lot left. You think so? Other than San Angeles. But the, they, make, they make the disaster an earthquake, which can't affect the whole world. It's I, like, I guess if they're, they're implying that the just chaos and violence consume the you, world. You're right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense that it would affect the Midwest, right? But I, it just, it, it, to me, it gives the impression that San Angeles is all that matters that is left anymore. Okay. So, like, that's all the government? There's no, like, federal government left or anything, you think? it's, it's just... I, it, Realistically, it seems like there should be a federal government, but it doesn't seem to matter, because Cocteau seems to have been able to do whatever he wants. He just doesn't end around, just like, you know, yeah. he doesn't listen to what they say. I feel like Friendly, if there was any kind of world outside of San Angeles, Friendly and them would just go there. So, like, there must that's not it. be much. That's, that's actually a really good point. See, why would they just hang out in the sewers, especially if they're potentially starving? Right. So anyway, so what do you got? So all right, then friendly. That's a, I'm gonna lead, I'm gonna lead. This is the one I had last, but because mainly because it's at the end of the movie. But I'm gonna I'm gonna lead in with this one. All right. So you know his rant and everything. Edgar Friendly is supposed to be about freedom, right? Sure. He immediately starts barking orders at about Associate Bob and that you need to your hair's got to go and these clothes that you're wearing and you're oh, wearing yeah, gloves. You're right. So this libertarian <laughs> guy, right? He immediately is saying these are the things you need to do. That's a great point. 
that's a fantastic point. That, and that really puts a pinpoint on my problems with that character that is a perfect illustration of it. You're right. I mean, I, honestly, I <laughs> if he's the ultimate libertarian, he'd be all for associate Bob. You want to have crazy hair and you want to wear surgical gloves? Be my guest. I mean, uh, Stallone should have stepped in and called him a hypocrite. Like, is really yes. what it came down, it came down to. Like, as, yeah. the, as, the, as the man of reason of you need to get really clean and you need to get a little dirty, you should say, hey, wait a minute here. <laughs> You're right. He's just as much a fascist as they were. Yes. Like, it's, just, it's just a different form of fascism. Well, it's like punk culture being like, we're nonconformists, but all they do is conform to each other. It's like, <laughs> it's the same thing. Yes. Yeah. He just wants to have everyone to look like him, dirty and, yeah. and scruffy, yeah, for sure. And smear themselves and whatever and run down the street or whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. What do you uh, got? Okay, so we kind of talked about all of the recordings of the museum, which are all in Dr. Cocteau's voice. So do you think they had him sit down and record a million different messages, or <laughs> is it like a voice print? I, I think that only because some of them have the specific name, I think it has to be a voice print that then the computer can then simulate for whatever, like, you know, John Spartan. The same thing for the verbal morality statute. Sure. I assume that the computer has to then alter it because he's not going to record John Spartan. If oh, Simon that's true. Fe- yeah, so that's a good point. That, that's what I think. <laughs> You're right. The name's really, that, that answers the question. That's I, what I it has to be. I didn't even think about that. So then uh, let me lead into this because that, that actually leads me into one. Uh, by the way, we, we touched on it a little bit. One of the best jokes in this movie is the verbal morality statute. Yeah, it's great. The machine. Well, also, it's him using it as the alternative for the seashells, That's which is a joke that I never picked up on, really. Until really? Oh, I, I probably did, like, in my 20s. I was okay. like, oh, I see what's going on. Oh, no, I immediately did. Okay. Uh, that, so I didn't get Hal, the Hal 9000, and some others, but I immediately got that one. So here's what I want to know about that. So how does that get enforced outdoors? Meaning, how do they know who said it? No, so I, I know how they know who said it because it has to do with the imprint on your hand. Because that's why Simon Phoenix, when he gets one, it doesn't have a name because he doesn't have the coding. Right. It just spits it out. But if I'm out in an open public area, how can it possibly be grabbing that and giving me the piece of paper if I'm out in Grant Park? Well, I think it's up to you to grab the paper, right? It's like a parking ticket. I can throw it away. It doesn't mean I don't have to pay. I it. know, but how? where would it print out is what I'm saying if oh. you're out in the outdoors. Well, I assume there's like posts everywhere i'll bet there's like one of those kiosks every 50 yards okay you just have to listen for the buzz then all right i I got another question (laughs) you know what i'm gonna do since you were chiding me about cursing (laughs) i'm gonna put that in every time (laughs) (laughs) you have uh, you have fine one credit i'll just put a distant yeah i'll just put in a distant buzz that is great for for whatever reason i was pretty foul all right i had a follow-up i had another one on this that i need answering okay why does huxley only get a half credit off are the police was, above the law? No, I'll tell you why. Because okay. he says it's a Soto Voce violation because no one else heard it. Are you? That's why. Wow, you got me beat. I did not know that. He says you are find one half violation for a Soto Voce violation of the verbal morality statute. So it's only because she's solo. So there, there, yeah. half, there's, there is other half credits then. Because she whispers it to herself. But wait a minute. Who was around when Phoenix was getting his? Which, by the way, is one of my favorite sequences with, <laughs> yeah. with Wesley Snipes. What? He just, yeah. And the way he says, F you! The way he <laughs> <Yep>. says, throws <laughs> it away. Yeah. He, kill, he kills it with he, that stuff. He absolutely does. But, but was there anybody around for that one? He gets a full credit off. That's true, but maybe just out in public. You're it is default. assumed. Yeah, yeah, it's assumed. Yeah. All right, that's fine. She was in her office, I think, when she gets that half credit. So right. that's fair. She, got, she goes rough and she goes, ah, oh, that's sanctimonious, whatever she yeah. said. So All right. You, what, brought, you brought up the chip in the hand, which is a perfect segue. All right. We're managing to bounce this back and forth pretty nicely. That's good. Why, in a world where everybody has a chip in their hand, would a cryoprison need an eye scanner 
for security. Oh, you completely got that. You know, because he could just use his hand. You're right. Why does it need to confirm there's his retinal scan? There's absolutely no reason why. I mean, the alternative, he'd st- then Phoenix would just cut off his hand, right? I mean, right. one way or another, he was getting out of there. It wasn't a question. Well, John Spartan says, like, unless he figures that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're right. There's no reason for a retina scan other than that would have seemed really futuristic in 1993. Yeah. I mean, they wanted the, the, the moment, the, the yeah. kind of graphic violence of the eyeball, which uh, I can take that or leave it. It's just like, I don't know. It, I feel like it, it was supposed to be more shocking than it ended up being. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I've seen worse than that. <laughs> Plenty of movies. We, yeah, and it, it's it felt like in this movie that they cut out a lot of violent and action sequences because there seems to be really big gaps, particularly with the five special men that just seem to disappear. When we get to the body count, maybe you can help me on that. But I, oh, right, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I counted them. Oh, all right. It, it was it was I stated didn't. in dialogue that it happened. So right. I, I assume it happened off screen. Yeah, I mean, there probably were some cut scenes. I know there was. I know there's at least one cut storyline. That one of my questions has to do with. So. All right. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. I mean, all right. So I got one. I want to know in this supposedly very compliant society, right? It seems like there's a lot of police. Why do they need so many police if graffiti, which can be overrun with a machine in some instances, right. why do they need so many police? I'll go you one step farther. I had a note. Uh, why do they need any police? Why did they need so many employees at this cryo prison also? Oh, that's a good, that's a good one. Establishing too. shot when they're they cut to the future and there's like thirty dudes there. They're ice cubes. You need one person to sit in a chair and just make sure nothing goes wrong. <laughs> make sure nobody says teddy bear. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it, it, bonus question: Do you think that teddy bear was it was lazy that <laughs> that they didn't change it? Well, you know what well, I'm saying? How you have to update your password? Do you think that somebody was just lazy and never updated the password? Well, presumably they wouldn't need to update it as long as nobody ever says it. But do you think they set that because it's a word that is very unlikely for these hardened killers to, stay, to yeah, say? Yeah, that's, that's what, what I th- Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's what I always assumed. Yeah. All right, so here, here's what I want to know. I, what doesn't make sense, and we'll go back to the, the cryocon prison. Why wouldn't every single one of the prisoners in there, why wouldn't Cocteau have programmed all of them not to harm him? Why would only Simon Phoenix be the only one that would have that in their programming? Well, I think he didn't expect Simon Phoenix... He didn't expect any of them to get unfrozen. But shouldn't they be getting conditioning just as part of their basic... Probably to not harm anybody. Right. But in but specifically, on it, I mean, e- even if he wasn't expecting it, why wouldn't you plan for the potentially unexpected? If you are... If you basically rule the roost... Why would you take any chances and not have all of them where it's like, no, you can't touch me? Oh, it's definitely a pretty big oversight on his part. But uh, I mean, is that arrogant? I just feel like that should have been part of their basic rehabilitation. I'm just like, you'd think they'd be getting that conditioning by default to not harm sweater that not harm people would be tough further up the list. Like, is that rehabilitation just to teach them job skills so that they can get a job when they get out? So, like, you know, the idea is that. John Spartan would get a knitting job, you know? Like, That's what I think it is, yes. Because, yeah, it doesn't seem like any of those guys. But in the case of, specifically in the case of uh, Dr. Cocteau, like, I imagine that this was a long-term plan. Like, it probably takes, like, months and years for that conditioning to seep in. And yeah. This is something he's been planning for a while, so he didn't expect more than Simon Phoenix to get unfrozen, I think is why. But All right. I, I, I feel like they should not be violent oh, in I general. Agree. I, I agree, but... In particular, if I'm Raymond, <laughs> right, I'm having it where you can't touch me. What yeah, else? I mean, it, show, it shows a lack of foresight for sure. I agree. All right, here's a question for you. All right, would you eat a rat burger? <laughs> <laughs> These can be all kinds of questions. And here's my um, question. All right, 
I'm going to say this. Knowingly, no. I'm fairly convinced that when my wife and I were down in New Orleans, <laughs> I didn't I'm expect this. I'm telling you, man, it was the most disgusting hamburger I've ever had, and I'm not 100% sure. Even though it was in a legit restaurant, it was not in sure. you know, the sewer somewhere. I'm not 100% sure it wasn't rat. It was awful. Okay. So well, let's say you're in that situation where a very nice lady cooked you up a burger. You take one bite, and then she tells you that it's a rat burger. I, would you continue eating it like I he does? I absolutely would not. Okay. You? That would be pretty rude. She's, she's so proud of her burger. She just got a Rolex for that thing. Pride, pride can be thrown aside. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's not a bad point. Yeah, I would eat a rat burger. If I, I feel like there's nothing inherently dirty about a rat. If it was like... Cooked. If I knew that it was clean, like raised I mean, in a place that was clean and all that. Well, I don't know if any rats are raised in a place that are clean. Well, if you raise them from birth, if, if they're like livestock that are you bred think they're just livestock, make... I think they just go around and find whatever rats they can kill. Oh, maybe. But even if I so, figure they've it... got some kind of like you know they 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 keep rats for food and they kind of. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm buying that, but what I'll say is that when it was cooked the way it is, you're probably fine. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I guess my follow-up question should be, was this a rat just caught in the sewer, or did you, you know, is this, do you have a rat farm that's just for, <laughs> you know, food? All right, let me, this is my last one that I want to have in the devil's advocate is, All right. Spartan and Phoenix are extremely reckless with their ammunition. I mean, you got Spartan in there firing at video screens. There's not that much. There can't be a ton of ammunition. I mean, the fact I can buy the fact that what seems to be your boggle. I can believe the fact that there would be live ammunition and working guns in the cases because the society legitimately thinks they have nothing ever to fear that anybody would use it. <laughs> this dip- display would be incomplete without the ammunition. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. but most guns that are on display, they're the firing. There's things that are taken out yeah, so they I mean, can't fire. It's it's. It's so preposterous that it's just like you can't, so, you can't fault the movie. Right. I can buy that, but I mean, they're extremely – what are their plans? There can't be that much ammunition. Of, if, if either one of them would have just uh, – Are you talking about in the museum or when they go down to the sewer? and All around. They, they're just firing ammunition recklessly. Oh, they have, like they, they have no way to resupply is what you're Right. Saying. They have no way to resupply. What yeah, are they thinking? That's true. I mean they don't – every scene – both Simon Phoenix and John Spartan are terrible shots. They can't oh, hit anything. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's just like this era of action movie. That's just the way it is. But All right, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's it's a good point. Spe- it really got called out for me when Spartan was there and he's firing away at the video screens in the conference room. Like, what are you wasting bullets on that for? Well, I didn't even think about this, but everyone in his gang when he unfreezes all those guys, they all have their own guns. But how many guns did he walk out of that museum with? He had a duffel bag of like maybe three or four. Then he right? said, uh, excuse me, Rambo, when he needed to borrow that oh, duffel right. bag. I, we need to track Rambo references in Stallone movies because there's way more than you'd think. Okay. You know? Well, there's one in Demolition Man. And I there's a Schwarzenegger movie, too. We should, uh, reference. Schwarzenegger, yes, about the presidential library. Yeah, so track both of those because, yeah, we're going to get multiple. Uh, Fair enough. Stallone is the most self-referential. He loves to reference himself. Do you have anything else in The Devil's Advocate? Okay, I have a couple more. All right, I'm ready. Okay. John Spartan's daughter. Where is she? Who do you think she is? I'm going to guess that she was written into the script and she's one of the sewer people. Okay, you're absolutely right. That's yeah. exactly what it is. All right. They cut out a storyline where he finds her down there. Can I say? I'm glad they cut it out. That would be a total waste of time. I don't think it would have been that bad. I, I, I'm not sure how many scenes even it would have been. She's there. If you, if you notice when uh, they start shooting down, he like dives on a woman and protects her. Oh, that's who it was. That's who it was. 
It's a waste. It's introducing a character you don't. You have no vested interest. I'm I'm totally on board with it not being. Yeah, he shouldn't have had a daughter. They shouldn't have written him to have a daughter. Right. But are you aware that the internet conspiracy theory is that Sandra Bullock, her her character is his daughter. No, come on, it's stupid. You know, I, I hate all internet theories, fan theories, but that one in particular. There's oh, n- that's incredibly dumb. It's based on nothing. It's just because people hate dangling threads. Oh, they introduced this character of his daughter and they never resolved it. I must resolve it myself. You know, like that's what people do. That's just an instinct that some types of people have, and it's really well, it's pointless. And there's no, there's nothing to support it. She has a different last name. Her age is all wrong. She's way too young. She's like way too young. Twenty, like mid to late twenties, you think? Yeah, and he's been. He's frozen for 36 years there's no way she's over 36 years old no all right this idea yeah people think this i do not and i'm i'll go on record i'm glad it was dropped because i think it would just be a a rabbit hole that was a waste of time yeah because what i mean really what you like i just on the cover of your garbage dvd cover that i have the same one it's (laughs) snipes and stallone that's what i'm tuning in for i'm glad that sandra bullock you know her character and she had a great performance makes it more interesting I don't care about the daughter. I don't care about the wife. Oh, yeah. And even Sandra Bullock, they just get her out of the way. He knocks her out. Like, you're not, you're exactly. not part of this confrontation. You know, I mean, whatever. I, that's, what I, that's what I'm paying to see. And that, that's what I'm glad that that storyline was dropped. Yeah. I mean, she wouldn't have been there. His daughter wouldn't have. She was part of Edgar Friendly's crew. So Yeah, but, you know. I, I, there must have been something cut there because they show up like, we're going to take over. And they just walk away. And they never, never seen again until the end when they just come back. Yeah. It feels like there's some storyline where they were going to do something and fight. And they, they don't do anything. They just kind of, it's like, oh, you guys are in charge now, I guess. They rob a Taco Bell truck. That's really all they do. No, but I'm saying at the end, remember they come back and Garcia's with them. Oh, yeah. No, they, they it, it feels like it's building up to some kind of big action sequence with them. They're going to go take on Cocteau. No, they don't do it. They don't do anything. Well, he's already a log on the fire, so. That's true. Um, okay, and then last question. We have to cover it. How do you use the three seashells? <laughs> Should we even bother? Should we? I don't want to get too scatological, so like, I, it's like. I gotta just, imagine but just, there's a lot of scraping involved. Really? Yes. See, I I have to think that anything that was designed to be reused like that <laughs> isn't making physical contact. What I can't right? they're not what, disposable. They go back. They go back. Well, here's what I can't understand: is Schneider's laughing at him, you know, or no, uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, Huxley's characters. They used they're like laughing at him. They use wadded clumps of paper. Right. How are those things any better? <laughs> well, I mean, presumably they are. We don't know how they work, but. We're just told that they're better. <laughs> no, but that's like, what What a bunch of jerks. How could they not this assume be, that this guy is going to know how to use the yeah. three seashells? I mean, I can understand like a moment of snickering, but it's like, okay, fine. We'll explain it. They don't explain it they, no. they, until the end of the movie. He still just, doesn't understand. Just keep, just keep it in your underwear. You can just uh, keep wiping it in your underwear. All, no, he's using the... the well, I know he the, is, but what I'm saying is them laughing at him is basically saying, yeah, you're never going to figure it out. Right. Yeah, that's that's like the cruelest thing. They're, they're just they don't tell them. No, but I, the fact that there's three, I feel like there must be some kind of like sonic waves going on. You know, <laughs> you, you wave it nearby, and it is kinda, it like a bidet or something where like one shoots right. out water? Well, it's like it's like the razors with the three blades. It's like the first raises the hair, and the second cuts the. Hair. They must do different things. It's just like it breaks it up, and then it kind of. I don't think I think they're all for scraping. <laughs> I, if they're disposable, then I would say sure. But also, I don't see how that could possibly be better. It can't, be, <laughs> it can't better. be better. It's awful. It's, it seems like it'd be really painful, yeah, too. It, it seems pretty awful. But anyway, that's but my it, last question. But it is very memorable, the three seashells. It is. I mean, it, it's funny because there's no possible way that it could make sense. No. I mean, I'm asking rhetorically. There is no answer. No. The screenwriter doesn't have an answer. 
the answer is it's a joke. <laughs> So this then, this is where you're going to have to take it away because I want to know what is going on in the Silk Cozart corner. That's right, the Silk Cozart Memorial Internet Research Corner. This is going to be. I was wondering if the analog <laughs> shot is what I was wondering if you were going to have on. I there. was debating. That's from last. Uh, what men can't jump, but. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go too deep. This, I, I, frankly, I would spent way too much time putting together these stupid uh, <laughs> jingles that uh, I could have been spending that uh, digging on a little the deeper. moment. But the thing that I was digging into is the Demolition Man 3DO video game, and it is hilarious. I don't know if you're familiar with the 3DO. It, I vaguely remember it. It was barely a video game system. It was basically like a multimedia thing that they tried to kind of graft video games onto it. And it's mostly like the CD-ROM kind of games where it's like video and stuff. Yeah, it sounds terrible. Uh, I'm going to play a clip from this game. It's hilariously bad. A couple of clips. This is the beginning of the game, and you'll see, like, this is just the movie. Yeah. Turn it down a little bit. Send so, a maniac to catch a maniac. So tell me if you can spot the moment when the movie stops and the video game starts. It's very subtle, and I'll see if you can <laughs> you can catch it. So they obviously got Stallone in like a green screen studio for a day. There's a couple moments I, I highly recommend oh, everybody man, look that up. Is so terrible. Here, wait. You haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to cut to the end of the first level. So wait till it- you see Sylvester Stallone running around on a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Please, everyone should Google this. And then it cuts to the movie. Where it's like the production value, like the, the change in production value, it could not be more obvious. <laughs> this is, it's so bad. What were they thinking? And so the last thing I want to play is I just kind of like found some clips of this. This is my research. So when you die in this game, it selects a random clip of Sylvester Stallone berating you. And here's a couple of, <laughs> of the clips that it will play. Hey, puke Skywalker, use the force. Hey, Luke Skywalker, use the force. How'd you get that 500 holes in your face? Learn to eat with a fork? Come on, is this the best you can do? Good. But I would say it's horrible yet terrible. (laughs) Ugly yet disgusting. You suck. That's this game's game over screen is him berating you. It's almost as bad as there was that one Jurassic Park video game where after you've beaten the whole game, it plays video of Jeff Goldblum making fun of you for beating the game. It's like, you spend all all this time and what have you accomplished? You spend all these hours of wasting your time. Go outside. You can see the sun for crying out loud. (laughs) I didn't know that. It's almost as bad as that. But yeah, just the idea that they recorded Stallone. I I gotta tell you, that has to be some of the worst green screen ever. Ever. It's it's why did they think they could cut in clips from the movie and have it's like it, it doesn't even come close to matching. All it does is call to attention how cheap their green screen is. It's hilarious. Look it up. I highly recommend the Demolition Man 3DO video game. Were there anything in the comments? Were there any reviews of like how bad the game is? Oh, I'm sure it's bad. There's one comment that says thank you. So I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, uh, no, it's, uh, it, it looks terrible. It does. Never had a 3DO, so I don't know. But that's that's my internet research. For all this right, episode. all right. So then uh, it heads us to what we're really trying to get at, which is the body count. Okay, so body count. I have a question for you as far as body count. I need a couple of rulings. Number one, at the beginning, they say that there are eight gang members 
in that warehouse that Phoenix is one of them. I had seven. Okay, so that makes sense. So Stallone kills two guys on the way in, and then the place blows up. What about the other what four guys then? That's my we don't, we my, don't know. My frustration with it is, you know, they they show Spartan beating up some guys. You know, he takes one, you know, like gives him the forearm sure. or whatever. But then later the building blows, blows up, up, so they should be dead. So I think you have to take it is that there were eight total when he did the ther- I did a formal thermo check myself. And, but there right, were, there was it? eight of them. Phoenix has to be one of them. So there's seven guys that died. Okay, so I didn't count anybody but the two he killed. So we're adding four, no five. I mean, I think you have to. I don't think anybody gets out of that building alive. Other than, of course. Okay, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I guess he did knock them out, and they're inside that building when it blew up. So right. I didn't think about that. I, I didn't count them because we didn't see it. Okay, and then the second thing I need uh, some input on is the 80 frozen convicts that blow up at the end of this movie. See, I, I don't know what to do on that either. I would say no. Okay. That you don't. I, it, it's hard because I just said on the other one, but you've at least seen some of those people. I mean, you see, like, little where, frozen where, people in where the ice cube. Where do you... Uh, do, who says the number 80? He's going to thaw 80 people. I think Lena Huxley says it. See, that's the thing, though. Is that the yeah, because f- when, when they find Cocteau and they're at his place, and then she goes to the computer and she goes, he's, he's going to thaw 80 convicts. None of them have conditioning. But when you see that shot of the, the cryo prison, there's other buildings at the cryo prison. So couldn't, theoretically, some of those blocks of ice be in other, like, wings of the building? I guess so. But it seems like they're all like imminent. Like at any moment, they're all going to wake up. I, 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 I didn't count them because it's not clear. I just have a hard time counting that many off screen. I think you could count the one that was like being thought out when the the battle that battle is going on because there's there's a guy that there's a chunk of ice there. Yeah, there's that, at least one guy. Yeah, that guy you can count. I think that guy's gone in yeah. Phoenix, obviously. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, I assume, is that who that is. <laughs> Jeez. Um, Okay, so we're going to add six then. Five in the beginning, one at the end. I think that's fair. Okay, so total body count then. The winner for the movie in terms of uh, the actor is Wesley Snipes. He had 19. Okay. Wesley Snipes' gang had five. Uh, I had Stallone next, but actually he's, he had eight. I had three, and now we're adding five, so yeah. he had eight. Jesse Ventura had one. Sander Bullock had one. So I didn't give myself a total. I am an idiot. 24, <laughs> 27, 29 plus five, so 34 total. Oh, that's awesome. I had slightly less than that, but that's fine. I am so out of practice. Like the, <laughs> it'll get, take us a few episodes yeah. to round in a shape. You know, we've got a new format and everything. So, but yeah, 34 bodies, only, uh, uh, what did I say, eight? Eight for Stallone. Yeah, and I think that the, the cryo-prison thing, I, I think that that's fair to just say, no, those aren't going to count. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. There's no way to know. No. It's, I agree, it's too many to just assume. Those guys in the bridge in Expendables 2 is already, like, it's giving Stallone so much of an advantage. If the idea is that this is kind of a competition between Stallone and Schwarzenegger, yeah, we don't he's need getting to... way too many advantages already. I agree. Uh, all right, so then from the body count, which is the official tally. So to, b- before we move on real quick, so Stallone's at 182, uh, 35.4 per movie is, is where he's at now. So all he's right. dropped a little bit. Just, you know, this is the horse race, so let's at least keep tabs, tabs on that. So That's fair. Yeah. Uh, all right, so then that moves us to this movie, what we have determined the Wrecking Crew Award. The uh, And it, it's pretty loosely defined. It doesn't necessarily have to be by body count, just whoever we think is worthy of of the award for uh, yeah, can, MVP of the movie, sure, I guess. Sure, MVP of the movie. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, it's, it could be for anything... Given the topic of our podcast, it's mostly going to be like who wrecked most shop. Yeah, but in but, some movies, you're not going to have that, right? So, right. I mean, it could be like who caused the most emotional carnage. You know, it could be yeah. it could be anything. But, yes. 
I know, I know who I'm voting for. Oh, I know mine. It's not even close. It's Wesley Snipes. Yeah, it's Simon Phoenix. Simon Phoenix. It's okay. not even close. Yeah, he wins the movie for sure. It's, it's really a showcase for him in a way that it makes me wish that he had more. I mean, he, he had a pretty good career, but you look at that performance. I mean, he was a big star. He was a famous guy, but... I don't. I, he's not famous enough, apparently. No, I. This is probably. I mean, White Men Can't Jump. It's probably still my favorite Wesley Snipes movie. Yeah. Uh, this is might be my favorite performance. I really like him in uh, Major League as Willie Mays Hayes, but it's a lot smaller role in that. This, to be honest, I think he carries this movie again. Stallone's not bad. Stallone is doing what needs to be done. I think Snipes and Sandra Bullock carry this movie. Yeah. He's still. He's one of the things that's making this movie very nineties, though. We never even talked about his hair. That's also the thing that makes this movie very 90s. That's true. The, I mean, and it's, the it's, alternate contact lenses, too, for the different color eyes. Yeah, that's that. I almost don't even notice that. I know he has multi uh, different colored eyes, but I never really. It's not something I notice. I mean, it's pre Dennis Rodman, so it's one of those things. Where I think like, Rodman copied this. No, I think he said he did. Oh, okay. I, think that's yeah, like I was going to say I, I, an actual thing. So, okay, so we're going to get to our rating. I actually have a jingle for this one. Oh, for the Rocky rating. And so uh, this is where we're going to use the opponents, I guess, from the Rocky movies to rate the, uh, the movie overall, yeah, each individual movie We're overall. essentially, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, it's, 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 you'll get the idea. All the way from Apollo Creed down to Spider Rico. <laughs> Spider Rico. <laughs> don't, don't forget his name because uh, I won't forget we, we, we may end up needing it. I guarantee you we will. Not for this movie, though. So. <laughs> Punching car accident victim. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad mouthing my film. <laughs> what? <laughs> I almost don't want to tell you. Will Ferrell and <laughs> Sylvester Stallone? I mean, there's an obvious place where that could be from. He hosted Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, my God. How do you know that this stuff exists? I remember that episode from Saturday Night Live. Was it bad? Uh, yeah, it's not great. He did an Orange Julius sketch. That I find hilarious, but I don't think they play it much because there's kind of a really bad gay joke in it that, oh, okay. you know, is from like 92 or something. But, yeah. um, but no, that couldn't have been Will Ferrell in Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's probably like 96. All right. I was going to say, it had to be at least late 90s for Ferrell. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was around Copland, I think. He was promoting Copland. That was 97, so. Okay. All right, so a rocky rating. I'll, I'll let you go first. All right. <clears throat> so we, we're not going to explain what this just we're. I think as we give the ratings, we can, you know, give it, you can kind of tell based on what we're explaining with our the rationale for our ratings. Well, I mean, as you said, I think Apollo Creed is the cream of the crop when it comes and, to and, <laughs> and Spider Rico is the bottom. Yeah. Yes, I don't think this is quite cream of the crop territory. I got to leave myself some room because okay. uh, I absolutely love the Rocky movies. And I do think this movie is aging badly, but it's still fun. So it's a solid clubber Lang as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so it couldn't go the distance is what you're saying. That's, that's fair. That's true. That's, very, that's, a, that's a very good uh, Rocky uh, uh, comparison. I'm impressed. Uh, clubber Lang's the only opponent that doesn't go the distance. I can't. I'd like to take credit, but since when you laid out all of, because I didn't know who Spider- Oh, did I? Is that, yeah. Okay. No, you, you had it. It was very eloquently put. Clubber Lang is he can't go the distance, so that's, that's perfect. Well, I, I don't want to jump ahead and talk about Rocky Three, but it's one of my gripes about Rocky Three is that neither fight goes the distance they're both very quick all right uh for me i've got to say it's an apollo creed for me i mean really yeah i mean this is of the stallone movies (laughs) i love how i'm shocked and this is the most arbitrary really an apollo creed that's incredible it's like it doesn't mean anything (laughs) why am i reacting this way uh no look i don't know you liked it more than me yeah i mean i i it held up better for me i'm not gonna say that you are wrong and i don't think there are things that have not aged well but it remind it's still a movie that I remember when I had enjoyed it, and it's sort of like Last Action Hero. 
Uh, maybe 93 was just a year for me. It was an influential year for movies. I don't know. I think some of the stuff held up really well. I think it introduced me to some things when I was a kid that I probably would have eventually found Brave New World in 1984. And just, again, being reminded of how great Wesley Snipes in this. Simon Phoenix is going to be up there if we ever did a recap of who... I mean, he's up... To be honest, he's up there with Benedict. I, I think Benedict is a better villain in Last Action Hero. Simon Phoenix is pretty close. He I, is so much fun. I would agree with that. Honestly, I might have a hard time picking with it. That's how far I would go with it. But, you know, my problems were not, never with Wesley Snipes or Simon Phoenix. Honestly, I think if they ever made a sequel to Demolition Man... You've got to find a way to bring Simon Phoenix back. I was going to say, you don't even need John Spartan. Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, Simon Phoenix is like as dead as could be, so you can't bring him back. But right. it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like when they made the Fugitive sequel... They did it without Harrison Ford. It's like, you could easily, you know, Wesley Snipes is it's kind almost, of the star of this it's movie. It's too bad that they didn't leave an ambiguous death to right. save the potential for more <laughs> yeah. Simon Phoenix. It's the opposite. It's it the most unambiguous. <laughs> they, yes. Heads up. We never, we never talked about in Expendables 2 how they totally stole that line. I didn't think about too. that. Yeah. He's got Jean-Claude Van Damme's head in the bag. Heads up. I didn't think about that. Stole from himself. He does this all the time. He's constantly re- referencing himself. So let's uh, keep an eye out for it. Right. Well, yeah, so it was an Apollo Creed for me, but still a pretty good ranking from you with a clubber line. I so. mean, yeah, I just I couldn't go that far because I know there are so many, all the Rocky movies, not, very few of these movies are going to get you know, as high as the Rocky movies for me, but we'll see. You never know. It's not a Tommy Gunn, right? I don't think we had that actually <laughs> no, in there. I, we did. I, I definitely put him in there. I, oh, I, there was five because we've got Apollo Creed. I, I don't think it necessarily has to be as rigid as what I laid out. I, I, the, I basically, that was like what I was thinking, but it's like... I reserved a right to totally pick a nonsense, <laughs> you know, uh, Rocky opponent. That's fair Rocky. enough. All right, so let's talk about the next movie. Yeah, so I, I let off on this uh, this one with Demolition Man, so it's your pick, and this is a, a surprise to me. So I'll see what my uh, research is going to have to be on. And it's definitely going to be a surprise because, uh, well, I it's so freeing. Like, I can pick 47. Actually, that's not true because whatever Demolition Man, yeah, can't pick those. But the 44 movies I can choose from. That's a crazy choice. Like it's you know after the end of Bad Puns Machine Guns, we were just getting hemmed in all the time. It's like it's so nice to just be able to pick whatever. The I Edgar want. friendly, do whatever you want. That's right? exactly right. I'm gonna rub myself in cheese or whatever, <laughs> whatever the hell he says. So uh, I'm gonna pick something because it's essentially a favor to my friend Jamie. Because all right, when she heard that we were gonna do Stallone next, she basically went, "I have to sit you down and watch this movie right away." It was her favorite movie as a kid, and that movie is Rhinestone. Okay. I know nothing about it. Honestly, nothing. Yeah, yeah. All I can think of is like a Rhinestone cowboy. Do you even know who else is in it? No clue. Honestly. Not what it's about? I, I didn't know Stallone was in it. I didn't know it was a movie. I know nothing about it. I will tell you, I always used to get this movie, having seen neither movies, I used to get Rhinestone mixed up with Urban Cowboy. I know the neighbor, and Cowboy never seen it. Right. I, well, well, now I have seen Rhinestone because I was sat down and put in front of the movies. Oh, man, and, you already have got working on this and one. I, and I have the DVD, and I don't think it's available for streaming, so you may need to borrow the uh, borrow the DVD that I'm borrowing. Yes, I will. Otherwise, I'll need to buy it. Well, <laughs> you should borrow it. All right. Um, oh, take that, Jamie. <laughs> well, no. I mean, we'll talk about it next episode. <laughs> Zing! Um, but anyway, so yeah, that'll be our next episode. All right, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to broaden my horizons. Not just this one, but a lot of them, as we you know noted. Well, um, I have not seen many of Stallone movies. And that's a good way to put it, because I think I may have picked this anyway just because I want to pick something that really demonstrates the range of the kinds of movies. Hey, what the hell are you doing? Here? 
<laughs> I, bumped, I bumped the keyboard, I and that happened. We should just end with that. <laughs> I want to finish my point. All right, do it. <laughs> well, I wanted to pick a movie that shows the breadth of the kind of movies we're going to be dealing with. It's not like Arnold, where it's mostly action movies and the occasional comedy. It's like we're going to get some all, all kinds of stuff. That's and true. This is an example of that. So anyway, right. well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I am too. I'm looking forward to the discussion anyway. Well, that's uh, that's our first show, and uh, so we'll be back with Rhinestone. Hot dogs, armor hot dogs. What kind of kids eat armor hot dogs? Step right up. Bad kids, skinny kids, kids who climb on rocks. Tough kids, sissy kids. Even kids with chicken pox love hot dogs. Armor hot dogs. The dogs kids eat day or night. Sad kids, funny kids. But when kids bite dogs, they yell Hooray! For hot dogs! Armor hot dogs! The dogs! Kids! Love! To Somebody put me back in the fridge.